Hey everybody, this is Casey Curry. We are on episode 13. It has been a long time since we have been doing any podcast. Life has been crazy. We have a lot to cover. In episode 13, we are going to focus on Dakar. I feel that it's a big topic uh, and we had a lot of success there. And uh, man, I just wanna, I wanna give it up, uh, give up the time to, to explain all that we can. I got Aaron with me uh, and Kyle who both actually were in Saudi with uh, with I and Sean uh, during the race. But, you know, really what I want to do is just take this time to um, to explain all the stories and, and really kind of just vent a little bit about uh, Dakar. But uh, we will get into more stuff. I We also raced the Ball 1000. Uh, we've done a lot of other trips and had some epic journeys uh, in the meantime, but right now we're dealing with the coronavirus. It's, uh, it's tough, but we're at, we're at home. We're being safe. Um, but yeah, let's, uh, we're going to get into car. So, uh, 2020 to car, uh, we won, uh, we did everything we went there to do and, uh, had a blast. We had a lot of ups and a lot of downs and, uh, you know, it's a, the truly the hardest race that I've ever participated in. I've raced all over the world. Um, I've won in a lot of different categories. And to me, there's nothing uh, as challenging. Um, the emotions that you go through, man, as a, as a driver, as an influencer, as just a human being, uh, man, I've never been put in those situations. Obviously, Kyle... Uh, you know, staying in the RV with me the last two days or three days was pr pretty wild on my part. You know, like now, obviously trying to think of all the recap, but you know, well, you actually got a pre-run Saudi basically, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. So, oh, so yeah. before, so early December, you took a trip over to Saudi and tell us about that. So basically we got invited over, uh, by the government to come over and check out Saudi and, you know, like, you know, really just be an ambassador and make sure that, uh, it, it's going to be fun for us. Uh, and also s they wanted to show that Saudi's not a bad place. And it was amazing. We went over there. Uh, we, how long were you there for? Uh, we flew, we we're there for five days. Yeah, five days. So, uh, for me, I got to fly business class first time ever. Oof. That was super, super nice. So how long of a flight was it? 17 hours. And yeah. it was direct. We got, yeah. we got the flight direct. It was pretty sick. And then we got there. Uh, we flew into Jeddah and, We've, I mean, we got treated like kings. It was pretty amazing. Even Kyle got treated like a king. Yeah, we showed up to a giant cake with Casey's face on it, yeah. straight off the bat from the hotel. And we're like, okay, this this might be nice. <laughs> yeah, the hotel over there, which the hotel name, um, is it the Hilton? It was a Hilton. Yeah, Hilton Jetta. Oh man, amazing! They treated us like kings. The hotel's phenomenal. The food is, we you know we showed up. Uh, and first thing for me was unique is we ended up, uh, running into some people in the military through friends of friends. Uh, do we ended up hitting it off five minutes into being there? We, uh, found some friends of friends and after that we became friends with them and still, uh, friends with them. But, uh, so you know, Jetta was the first place that you went yeah. to, which was, um, where the race that was started, started for Dakar. Yep. And then from there we went to Dumam. No, we went to Riyadh next, which that was the midway point of the race. Okay, yeah. So in Riyadh, uh, man, it was epic. So we flew like every other day. Like it was craziest trip of our lives. Uh, we flew into Riyadh, and then we ended up getting to go to a couple of festivals. Yeah. Uh, we got behind the scenes uh, look at things. At the Diria Festival. Yeah. What was the weather like uh, when the you weather were there in when December? There, when we were there in December was 70s. It, it yeah, was, it was it nice. Was nice. No, you didn't have to wear a jacket. 
the weather definitely got colder from two weeks before till there. It definitely was getting colder. So we, uh, but yeah. And then from there, we, I mean, we went and, uh, ate at some cool places. Uh, they have a crazy thing there that in certain months of the year, four or five months out of the year, they build a complete mall festival center ponds with fountains and, or, you know, fountain shows, 25 restaurants, yeah, a bunch shopping of different mall, art. and they build it up. You have full restaurants and then they tear it down. It's only for three months out of the year. And you, it, it what city was that in Riyadh? Yeah, Riyadh. Yeah. Full blown in the, I mean, a dirt lot built into 25 restaurants, all concrete. I mean, fountains with shooting water and colored lights and, you go in, you park, you hang out, and they literally, yeah, this will be gone. In two months, it's gone. It'll be dirt lot again. They do this every single year. They rebuild it, do different different restaurants, different people working there. Uh, it was a pretty incredible experience. Yeah, it's kind of like your county fair, but like just to another level. A whole another level. Yeah. <laughs> Which is funny because listening to you talk about it, like I don't really feel when we were there for the race, we really got to see much of uh, Saudi. No, or, we saw nothing. I mean, obviously, we we saw the countryside and yeah, everything, but, yeah. but not seeing the, like daily life. Yeah, you know, being there for the race, you were just there for the race, and that's the hard yeah. part. Like much. when same thing with Peru. Like when you get into the race mode, it's like you're just going racing. Like you're not ever stopping for something. Like, even on the rest day, the rest day, like you still go to the race. Well, not racetrack, but the bivouac, and you go check on everything. It's not like yeah, all right, we're gonna day, go hang out. Rest like, day, I thought we were gonna go see some of the city yeah, and go no. be a tourist and. No. We left the hotel. We were at the oh, bivouac all there was day. There some politics involved that day. Yeah. That was very stressful. But, but yeah, uh, I mean, so then from there, uh, we went to Damam, uh, which to me, uh, the further east you go, it gets, um, I don't know what's the right word I'm looking for, um, but the, just the way that the religion and stuff, I guess it, it just gets more, there's more religion, there's more, you know, like what they wear, their attire and stuff like that. It, it changes a little bit more it east. It gets a little bit stricter. Yeah, I, I don't, strict's not the word, but it's more like, um, oh, I, the old school ways, I guess yeah. you'd say. Uh, but w- with that, like, um, you know, we, we learned a lot. We got to meet the prince um, that's basically in charge of the car. Uh, ended up hitting it off with him. Super nice guy. Um, and we and we hung out. We went and watched one of the Saudi Arabia's first rallies that they put on over there. So we went to the start, saw the starting line of that. Didn't go anywhere but, like, the hotel, which is the start line. Uh, but hung out for a little bit. And then from, uh, did we, oh, no, we didn't do anything there. I went to the mall and ate dinner. Yeah. And then. I got sick. (laughs) And then from there, we flew back to uh, Riyadh, ended up staying in like this Hilton exclusive hotel. It's like 10,000 bucks a night for each room. And we got put up. It was the gnarliest thing ever. Gangster. And then, uh, yeah, we flew home, but we, you know, it was amazing. We felt, I felt way more comfortable. And I guess like you know, going into Dakar, like having that little bit of preparation, like, okay, it's gonna be cold. Like, what, what are we going to wear? You know, the food, what should we eat? Like, what are we going to bring from California out there? What are we allowed to bring? You know, they, they're not allowed. There's no pork allowed. There's no alcohol allowed. Um, so like you could bring food, but you gotta be careful cause you don't want to do anything that's going to basically, you know, wave a red flag. So, uh, it, it was good on that aspect cause I feel like preparation is key. I feel like I made some mistakes going to Peru, uh, just not being prepared. Like, Obviously now I'm like turning into a mental case about racing and just making sure all the, you know, check marks are, are checked. And, um, yeah, I think it did a lot better with that this year. I didn't never get sick. Never. I, I slept good. Uh, we had sleep, getting the motorhome situation out then it was all good. So, but yeah, that was all obviously in the, the middle of those two weeks that we were home for Christmas and before we flew out. 
So, but yeah, uh, after that, basically preparation for us, um, we ended up getting, um, you know, once we got back from that trip from Saudi, we ended up having the team flew a race car over for, for two days. And, uh, for first day, uh, Fox, uh, did stepped up insane, basically designed and built me a set of, uh, set of shocks, uh, that we could try to run for the car. So, super radical actually called rad shocks it's their racing and development shocks uh and man we went out one day we actually only went one day in the desert uh and i we didn't even drive all day ended up the car had a broken a bad axle so we couldn't go over high speeds um and the fuel cell was leaking fuel so we ended up testing probably three hours um out in the desert but i felt we got the car in a very good position uh, we Fox went back, duplicated the shocks in like a couple days. Well, in reality too, you also when we were in um, Morocco, you had tested a bunch of stuff that you yeah implemented. So we ran the, in, this year's the car. We ran the 2020 motor uh, package, and like by the rules, you have to run the whole motor package. So it's a stock motor, uh, but we run a restrictor, and it's tiny, so it's all in the air intake, uh, and the restrictor. I mean. People think, oh, I got the best clutch and I got the best this. And it's like, yeah, when you take away like 50% of the horsepower and 50% of the torque, like we have to start over. There's no testing and development for a restricted motor. It To me, it basically feels like our race car for the car is a non-turboed car. So you're taking this like insane fast car and like take the turbo off it. And that's what we're racing. So the reason that we run a restrictor is so that way any brand, any size motor, it doesn't matter as long as it fits under the thousand CC, if it's turbo, non-turbo with the restrictor, you're basically getting the same in air. So basically equals out the playing field. So if you think you got some radical tune or some radical engine, um, or some high performance thing with the restrictor, it basically levels it all out. And don't they also re, um, limit the travel too? Uh, they don't. They li- actually they got rid of that in 2020. So we were uh, the re- the rules were changed for 2020. So we didn't have to limit the travel. But when you're running a 30 inch old tire on a car basically developed around a 32, the the chassis hits the ground. So the restriction comes in that. You know, the worst thing you want to do is have the car smash in in the ground all day long. So we did a lot of work to make sure that all the, you know, when the car's at full uh, bump, that it's not digging in the ground and we're not, you know, taking a chance to have an A-arm hit a rock or a trailing arm hit a rock. So uh, I feel that that's, you know, uh, all those little things help when you're racing for 12 days of being comfortable. So we did that. And then basically all once we got all that handled. We got ourselves ready for the car. We shipped the shocks over uh, by airplane uh, to Saudi straight there. And uh, we never tested the car. The car That car was not our race car. It stayed in California. And then we spent Christmas at home. And on the 28th, we 29th. No, we left on the 31st. Oh, is that what it was? Yeah, flew. Oh, yeah, yeah. We flew mi- through New Year's. We didn't ever actually had a. New That's Year's right. Day. We flew on the thirty first out of California by the, and got to Dubai, and by and we had a layover in Dubai. And from the time we got a layover in Dubai to actual Saudi for the race, it was a second. We actually were never anywhere to celebrate. Like we we're in, I think we we're on the ground in Dubai for like two hours on a layover. That was the definition of time travel, right there. Yeah, we skipped one. What airline <laughs> were you on? Uh, Emirates. 
yeah, think. that's right. Emirates. I flew on a Saudi airline, so my Direct. flight didn't have even alcohol. So did yours have alcohol on it? Yeah, Emirates does. Yeah. So you could know. at least celebrate. I wasn't it. drinking Popped before the car. No drinking before the car. So, but yeah, and then uh, once we got there, but you know, honestly, I say uh, before we get dig in too deep, uh, I do have Ricky Brabick uh, ready to call in. Uh, let me give me one minute and let me get Ricky on the phone so we can get some chitty chat going on. Oh, What's up, boss? It's Casey, Aaron, Casada, and Kyle. What's going on, boys? What's happening? Are we, are we podcasting yet? We are podcasting. So basically, uh, dude, anything you say can and will be used against you. <laughs> On the internet. In quarantine. Yeah, <laughs> in quarantine. that's what we, we are definitely, the coronavirus is in full effect. But basically what we're, uh, man, I just wanted to recap. We're all discussing, we haven't got into depth yet of my whole Dakar experience, but, you know, we wanted to bring in a Dakar uh, champion and just get you on the podcast and give your feelings about Dakar and after Dakar with uh, all the craziness going on. Well, what do you mean? There's, I think there's two champions here on the podcast <laughs> at the same time, uh, bud. Te- technically, you won yours uh, one hour before me. So, no. <laughs> but, no, we want to – dude, you know, obviously on a bike, it's gnarly. You know, you got to do all the navigation yourself. Um, but, you know, for myself and now, like, the, the users, like, I mean, what did you do for yourself to get yourself ready for Dakar? Yeah, being on a bike is uh, definitely a little bit different. Um, you know, obviously, being in the car, you have a navigator – and also uh, being on, on a bike, you know, you're out there by yourself. And then um, obviously in a car, there's a lot more that can happen. So having a navigator in a car is definitely uh, a key point. And having a good navigator in a car is pretty strong. Uh, being on the bike, uh, something happens to us. Obviously, we're out there by ourselves, and not much we can do. So what I did to prepare was, um, you know, just go to Jimmy Lewis's house as much as I could, ride as long as I could. Uh, you know, try to go three days a week, four days a week. And uh, times got pretty tough. Um, you know, there's times where I didn't really want to be around Jimmy or be working with Jimmy because I was just getting frustrated. But um, obviously it's paid off. Um, you know, you know as well, you went to Jimmy's yeah. house. Uh, Sean went to Jimmy's house. So uh, I think I think training is a really important part. And uh, I'm not going to exactly tell everyone what I did. but um no i think i think we we did our part we went to jimmy's house we trained we stayed focused and i think most importantly i think us you know being close to each other in the in the bivouac you know being a part of monster we just had fun every day and i think that's a really big important part of being successful out there well, for you, Ricky, like like you said, you kind of always ride throughout the year. It's not like you ever just take a break and, and do nothing. But when do you really start to buckle down on like, all right, how many weeks out, how many months out do you like fully just get focused? I don't really buckle down until um, Morocco rally. Um, Morocco is kind of like the last rally of the year to see where you're at. So um, if you go to Morocco and you don't do so good, then you obviously know where you got to, you know, work on yourself or work on your navigation or, you know, uh, work on your diet or your physical training. And basically from October until the day that I would leave for the Dakar is where, you know, my focus goes in 100% rally. Um, you know, I don't really worry about hanging out with anyone on the weekends or going on vacation. Cause I know that Monday through Saturday, I'm thinking about road books or, dieting or physical training so there's 
I mean, there's a lot that goes into it. And throughout the whole entire year we race, well, normally we would be racing, but um, rally, I mean, rally's a little bit different. There's only like three races a year that I attend. So the, the, the time down, I just ride and have fun usually until about October. Word. So now as far as, you know, well, like you said, the bivouac thing, that's one thing that like people don't understand is how, like, obviously there's a bunch of stress and people and strategy and all this other crap going on. But like, dude, keeping it sane, like that, I would say that dude, having you and Andrew, like just two Americans that have already done Dakar, had the comforts, like obviously, uh, dude, me being in the situation of leading was new, uh, where you guys have already led or you've led, a, you know, the rally before multiple times, like. Dude, I was losing my shit out there. I was not doing good in the middle. And uh, <laughs> well, that was your second, R- Ricky. How many uh, Dakar's was twenty twenty for you? Uh, uh, that twenty twenty was my fifth one. Yeah. So I, I kind of knew like what to expect, and I guess like yeah, being at your second Dakar and like leading, yeah, I, I would be freaking out too. Like <laughs> I was, I was freaking out when I was leading, but I was like, dude, I got to keep it together as well, you know, because. <laughs> You know, we're leading, and when you're leading, you definitely don't want to lose it. Yeah. So, for sure, like, the, the nerves are, are pumping, and, like, the stress is way high. Yeah. It's definitely easier to be in second place and pushing hard to catch first than just chilling, going, like, well, somebody's pushing hard somewhere, and I have no idea where. Exactly, yeah. And then, yeah, exactly. So, if you're at first, you're just trying to maintain your your lead, but it's hard because, like you said, you don't know where they're pushing or yep. you don't know anything until later that night, basically. Yeah. So now at Dakar, what, what day, I, it doesn't, I don't know if you, you don't rem- really need to remember, but what type of terrain would you be like the most, what, I guess, what would be the most epic terrain that you had in like in Dakar and Saudi? I would say the first week, the first uh, five days or the first four days was like the best terrain. I think it was like basically kind of like where we live, the Mojave desert. Uh, minus no the bumps yeah was it exciting for you guys um going to saudi uh, how long was it in peru for 10 it was in peru for two years i think two years oh yeah 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 so you know you you'd erase that terrain before been there seen it like going to saudi was it pretty exciting about going and racing on terrain that no one's ever raced on or was it was that more nerve-wracking because you didn't really know what to expect no, I was super pumped to go to Saudi. I was super pumped to go somewhere where none of us have been because, I mean, honestly, like I, I really just enjoy riding my motorcycle. So if I can, if I can have fun riding my motorcycle and get to go to all these cool places and countries and race, it's even better. But I was more stoked for the fact that no one's been there and we were all kind of going blind. And, you know, obviously like growing up out here and racing, you know, like even for Casey, like, most of our racing out here is reading terrain and you know out there in like south america where it was like the past 10 years like the i mean the road looks were all the same and it was basically like pre-running every single year and people were going out there and like sneaking around and you know trying to you know get a glimpse of the course from some information and i think being in saudi arabia we all went there with the same knowledge and i think reading terrain and obviously like the rocks and the fast stuff is where like Casey and I definitely excelled. So yeah, I feel the same, dude. I I think 
that's what people don't realize that the not no pre-running no like there's people that once you know not saudi so much because it's a newer country to even go to but like down in peru there's like multiple rallies throughout the year that are going on the exact same set of sand dunes that we already basically are well for me i went down there in october for that inca challenge and then we ended up racing on the exact same sand dunes for four days yeah, exactly. Just like maybe a different direction or yep, something. Yep, that's exactly right. I had talked to a couple of different drivers and, and riders and asked them. So a big change, I guess, this year was that they were giving you your road book. Uh, they used to give it to you, what, the night before? Yeah. Right so, when you finished the day before. Oh, yeah, that's right. You had, so, to, you know, you had a, whole to... a lot of time to kind of look, and your team had time to look at the road book and kind of f- figure out what the next day is going to look like. So this year on, what, over half of the – Half yeah. of the days, you got your road book like 15 minutes before you went off. What was your take on that? Did you like it? Did you think it helped you? Did um, Was it a pain? Like, What were your thoughts on that one? I think getting the road book in the morning or like 20 minutes before the special started, I think that was definitely um, way better, you know, because now we get more rest in the evening and how we train at Jimmy's house, we don't really get to look at the roadbook because we usually finish our roadbooks really late at night or possibly the next morning. So, you know, when we're with Jimmy and training out here, we just throw the roadbook in the bike and we go. We don't really have time to mark it too seriously or, you know, have a lot of notes because that's how Jimmy marks his roadbooks and, you know, it helps us for training. So I'm thinking, uh, getting so you the felt it was an advantage for you. Exactly. Yeah, I like I liked it as well. I know for a fact that there's other people that do the, you know, looking around the course and stuff. Like for me, dude, just knowing where we're gonna go, I just want to drive as fast as I can without knowing anything. So well, that was yeah. Sean was saying that like at least it gives you the whole night off too, right? Yeah, exactly. It gives you more time to relax. Yeah, which is needed. For exactly, sure. Yeah. So how's it been after? Everyone pumped. You're dude. Obviously, you're blowing up everywhere. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I don't know. It's just for me. It's another, <laughs> it, for me, it's a race, and yeah, it's cool to win. But life goes on, and like you still have to get home and and work or work on yourself or keep training, you know. And uh, yeah, people have been blowing me up and you know whatever. But I've been just doing a normal everyday thing, just like I was the last five years, you know, and. Now with this freaking crazy coronavirus that's going on in the world today. Yeah, not much going on right now. Nothing well, is going on. There's like, you can't even go have fun anymore. So what are we supposed to do, you know? Like, are we even going to race Dakar next year? We don't oh, even know. Dude, that, I, that what concerns me right now is like, if you look at it, if they canceled the Olympics, technically, I mean, whatever, the 30 different, 40 different countries that go to Dakar, it, I, the endemic might not be over in some other countries or might not even started yet exactly well uh tell us about that real quick because like right as that stuff was going down as they were like starting to lock down the borders and all that stuff you went and raced a sonora rally, oh yeah which casey was how was g- it gonna go do that also yeah you know we we did the last race possibly in the world <laughs> uh, it was it was definitely cool uh you know they went to new locations uh the road books were getting pretty good the sand dunes we didn't do too many sand dunes so uh, it was really cool to explore like that part of Mexico, way down in like Sinaloa area. Oh, you or... didn't do a bunch of sand dunes? We only had like a day and a half. Oh, I didn't know that. 
Yeah. I thought it said the last two days was supposed to be dunes. Yeah, the last day was 100% dunes, but the day, the second to last day was like half dunes. Interesting. And I did not know that. So was the rally good then, though? Ever, no problems on there? Yeah, the rally was great. Um, we started in Hermosillo, and, dude, the first day was like WRC Mountain Roads. It was so sick. Oh, that is badass. That is awesome. And then, yeah, then they had um, some rain rainstorm going on out there. So the second day had, like, some cancellation in the beginning of the stage. But uh, it was... I mean, it was like WRC the first two days as well. And then the third day, we were in the desert and then ended up ended on the coast. And then like day four and five was just sandy tracks or day five was all dunes. But was, navigation, was, was navigation difficult or no? Uh, the navigation on day one and two was not difficult because it was more or less just like main, main yeah, track, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But uh, the sand dunes, yeah, the sand dunes were tricky. A lot of uh, a lot of HP with you know um, just one cap heading, you know? off piece. Did you guys have open waypoints or closed waypoints? Uh, there was only we had closed waypoints, but not very many of them. Yeah, that's good. I mean, it's it's Sonora Rally, so it's a great beginner. Yeah, um, you know, trying to get people out there. You know, they don't they don't want to put a rally to go out there and kill people and you know make them hate it yeah 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 for sure so they try to really do their best and keep it pretty mellow for the most part but the fim guys were there and hopefully in the future it'll be an fim race yeah that'd be sick now as far as getting uh, back across the border do you have any problems um no going going home we actually it's pretty crazy we were there and we were right at the border dude we stayed on friday night for the awards you know a little party Yep. We were at the border and freaking, I was with Sarah, dude. We just turned and went to um, Punta Bana and just went to rent a house, dude, for seven days. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> you stayed down there for a oh, while. That's awesome. Yeah, we rented a house for seven days. And then when it was time to come home, uh, we got to the border and they just asked us what we were doing down there. And, dude, we were in the borderline for 20 minutes at Tijuana. Well, oh yeah, that's nice. I feel like you definitely gambled on that one though too, because like <laughs> if it was like I waited seven days and they completely shut it down, you're like, all right, well, I'm here for another month. <laughs> that's cool. dude. Honestly, it's not that bad there. No stress in the world down there. <laughs> right? no, no virus scare, nothing, dude. It's it's relaxing, it's super nice. And now being home, I mean, it's cool to be home, but we can't do anything. Like, yeah. nothing's open. You can go to the desert. And, and possibly have fun uh, driving your side-by-sides or riding your dirt bikes, but I think they're going to try shutting that down soon, too. Yeah, hopefully not. Hopefully things start getting better. So, but Yeah, yeah but things so, are going to get way worse before they're better. I agree. I agree. Well, dude, we appreciate you coming on. We just wanted to get some uh, talk from you. Uh, thank you so much, Ricky. Once again, congrats, and then I'll, I'll hit you up soon. All right, Casey. Yeah, thank you guys. See you guys. Have See fun. You, Enjoy. And we'll keep in touch. You got it, man. Talk to you soon. All right. See you guys. Later. Well, for ourselves, 
uh, I figured, dude, let's uh, let's start breaking down Dakar. For myself, uh, we'll bring Sean on here in a couple minutes. But I I, I say, uh, if you guys want, we we could start from the beginning and work our way up. Um, obviously, we uh, flew over on December thirty first and got over there on the second. Um, when we arrived, uh, we had one day to basically get um, acclimated, just kind of get ourselves comfortable in the hotel. Uh, showed up. <laughs> race cars basically were being built in the parking lot um, in the bivouac, I guess. Uh, the first day, the first bivouac is kind of uh, in front of the hotels, so it makes it pretty easy. But, yeah, they finished the race cars. Well, your first day you had the, the shakedown. No, right? no. First day we showed up. The cars showed up. And then they had to build this first full day where they're they're just putting the cars together. So uh, what this year, uh, obviously, I had some tricks that Sean and I I knew that I wanted to do for speed things for uh, mechanic stuff. So we spent a, the full day at the uh, at the bivouac, just going over um, the race car, making sure that we had everything that we wanted in the car and how we wanted it in the car, and then uh, where all the gauges wanted to go, everything. Uh, as far as for the trip meters and com- the race computers. Uh, and then that night, uh, you know, we just hung out. And then the next day was when we went to the shakedown. Uh, shakedown is actually like 80 degrees, super nice. Uh, we went outside of town like 30 minutes into um, a super cool little place that basically they rent uh, Can-Ams throughout the year and rent uh, some quads. And we went out and actually met a bunch of the Canem dealers from the area um, and from local countries, and uh, did some ride-alongs. And then we ended up doing a final adjustment. Uh, Simon, the Can uh, Am engineer, came out, and we ended up working on clutching until like 10, 11 o'clock at night. Just what we got the car to make a little bit more power, um, and then we weren't happy with clutch. So uh, Simon and I ended up working. Uh, on clutching, got that dialed in, and then uh, we got back to the hotel super late. Next day was uh, opening ceremonies uh, on the third. Yeah, that's right. So on the third, uh, we did, uh, or was the fourth opening ceremonies? Fourth yeah, that's right. Ceremonies. That's right. Fifth so the third, day. yeah. Second, we got in, hung out at the bivouac. Third, we did shakedown. Shake fourth, we did opening ceremonies, and uh, we did. Opening so that ser- was my first Dakar. I thought the opening ceremonies were pretty cool, but was there any difference between they ran them, the way they ran them in Saudi versus Peru? Uh, I think year? it was more organized in Saudi, because, but I also think there's way less people. Peru, it was mayhem. Like Yeah, it was hectic at Peru. There yeah. was just thousands and thousands of people. So obviously because it's new in Saudi, it's new. it'll be new to the area. I think by next year it'll probably be two times as big or three times as big. But, you know, like in Peru, there's, I mean, hundreds of thousands of people. You couldn't even drive a car, and there's people trying to knock the fence over. Well, I think that was one thing that was crazy that you had mentioned is, like, in Saudi before this, or I guess, when did they open up tourism? So basically, it was you weren't the last allowed year. in the country. It was, it, it was like partway through 2019. Yes. They started to. Like, they started writing pieces for people. So and that's what I noticed is, like, the people looking at these race cars, you know, that they have never seen them in person before. So that must have been a wild experience. Yeah, it was uh, it, it was crazy. Yeah, like m- the thing is, is like everyone's, I mean, super nice. People like have their opinions on the, you know, the religion and the, uh, you know, the government side of it. And like, I mean, honestly, we, I don't play into that stuff as far as into other countries. I We just went to, to race. 
And, you know, the people around the race were enthusiastic that we were there. They were pumped. I mean, we met a lot of people. And, I mean, in all the areas that we went, we never had any conflict or issues. So uh, I felt good on that aspect. And, you know, like you're saying, opening ceremonies was the first time that, for me, was, I mean, if you want to be real, was the first time as an American. I was the first American to stand on the box in front of, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50,000 people from Saudi Arabia and yeah, it was great, man. We had a cheering crowd. The guy, the complete uh, military uh, group that we met came down uh, and we're at the front row hooting and hollering. It was a pretty, pretty cool experience to have those guys come. I meant, let's talk about that story real quick. Cause I thought that was even cool. Like, so you met these dudes randomly uh, in the trip on December. Yep. Got their number, you know, Kept fr- have contact. friends and friends. And then when we got there a couple of days into it, we, uh, they invited us to their little uh, compound where they yeah. hang out and stay and had us over for dinner. And like, to be honest, that was the best meal in my opinion that we ate while we were hundred percent. Those guys, uh, they, they killed it. Dude, they got the barbecue set up. They got the food, they got everything. I mean, they made it a great night. Then they play volleyball. Like they totally bring the time. And Kyle knows he had to play volleyball with these it's all total, like, gnarly buff dudes. It's like awkward. They wanted to play, like, Top Gun-style volleyball without their <laughs> shirts on. And I'm like, I'm over here. I'm like, dude, I'm out of weight or out of shape. I don't want to do this. Uh, super good. But <laughs> I think it was they were, I think, really stoked just to hang out and see other Americans because, you know, like I said, there's not a lot of other Americans no. over in Saudi. So that was, yeah, that was a pretty... I think neat experience for both of us and them. Yeah. So they uh, went like, uh, you know, and that, yes, I agree. I was, and they're super nice guys and they just want to hang out with everybody else. So, uh, but after opening ceremonies, um, you know, that was a night we did, uh, basically we had a humongous drivers meeting. Like it's so, there's so many competitors that the drivers meeting is insanely packed. Like, there's there's probably 20 or 30,000 20,000 people at the drivers meeting because you got like driver co-driver and then you got like team manager team engineer and then you have like then the posses and all the other people that came for the start that wanted to be there the media uh and the organization itself has i mean a lot of people involved so talk a little bit about tech because you go through tech, you know, like in Baja and, and races in the States, you go through tech, you get your car, go back to your pit, keep on working. So talk a little bit about tech and park so the, for me. So the way tech works is basically you have a time slot. You're not, you don't go before you don't go after you go at your time. There's penalties involved with everything. So time you show up and you go through everything. You go through your complete car, all the restrictors, all the limitations, uh, all the numbers, everything is, you know, uh, homologated. The, ch- the ch- chassis is homologated. Um, so all the certification of your chassis has to be up to date. And the difference between racing in Dakar and in anywhere else in America is the fact that, uh, there was a multiple races that we knew that they didn't get their, um, their basically their driver's license. It's a FIA license. If you don't have it, you don't race. It's very, you can be there. You have your dirt bike there. You got everything ready. Your team, every, if you don't have your license, you go home. And, uh, they don't, they don't take that lightly. And, um, you know, over there. So you do, once you get through tech, uh, and everything's done at that point, your car is ready to race. And what that means is you drive from tech line back over to basically, uh, opening ceremonies or the opening ceremony slot and you're done. It's in park for May, meaning you're not allowed to touch the race car until the race day starts. So, um, luckily 
Well, crazy experience was day one, but basically for us, we uh, put our car in park for May and that was it. It was ready to go. Uh, everything they put in the car, everything they adjusted on the car, all the water, everything was ready to go. Um, the crazy thing is, is there's no start line. There's no grand finale, like big start. So day one of the race, after we put the cars in park for May, we went to bed, woke up the next morning. Okay. Your start time is whatever it is, seven thirty in the morning. You know, you go down. That you, first liaison to the start was yeah, like, it oh, was it's pretty like hard, 200K. I, it, was, it was long. But the crazy thing is, is that different than any race that we do. So you walk down to your race car. You, I mean, you're so excited. And here you are, you, you get in your car and you don't even put your helmet on. You just don't even have your suit on. You don't have your, you know, your Hans device buckled up and you go and you start the liaison and then boom, you're now on a highway section for three hours. I think the first day was, which we, we, and we started, we got all comfortable in the car. Everything was good. Car started car was, you know, pulling out of town was all good. And I mean, we want to get down into it. Uh, 50 K in, we're just cruising on the highway and boom, an axle broke. And I was like, what the heck? This is crazy. Rear rear. So boom, we pull over on the side of the road. Uh, and on that, on those sections, on certain sections, the crew is allowed to help. Uh, there's a lot of rules that go into this, but the crews were allowed to help. Uh, so basically boom, we had uh, a mechanic pull up behind us and we had an axle in the car and we changed it. And at that point that the, the mechanics were calling ahead to the big, the big trucks were at the start of the race or start of the stage. And we're calling, telling them, Hey, Casey already lost an axle. Make sure you get another one. Uh, we have no, by the way, in Dakar, there's no race radios at all. So we had no communication. So everything has to get relayed through them at this point. Drove another like 40 kilometers. Boom. Lost another axle. I was like, Oh my God, this is gonna be gnarly. And then, um, we don't even know what's going on. Have no way. I'm freaking out in the car. Now day one, I'm like ready to quit already. Cause super frustrated. And obviously I'm very passionate about what I want to do. I don't care. Like at this point, I don't care what people say anymore. Like I'm, I, I want to win. That's what we go for. I, I, I don't put all this time and effort training, eating good, riding bikes, going out to the desert for 30 days and trying to get myself to be better to go there and lose and, on you know, day one. Oh yeah. yeah. And yeah. And that's what, you know, like, and I'm trying to keep, racing. and I am trying to keep my cool, but dude, I've already now I've lost two axles driving on the highway out with a broken axle. Boom. Lose my third axle. I'm like, dude, this is it. <laughs> Here we go. We're going, bitch. we're going into the Haven't car. even made it to the dirt yet. <laughs> Literally. Um, now I'm like, Oh my God, I got, so we drove 25 kilometers. Now I'm in four wheel drive. We never run the cars on four wheel drive on the highway. We always try to stay at the front diff. I don't want to put any load on the front axles. You know, I'm very cautious with my car. You know, I've done a lot of testing and development. Uh, Can-Am has a, a, an amazing machine. And, like, for myself, uh, I, you know, I just know where we have uh, – where I can make strengths and, and we have weaknesses. And, like, for myself, like, I always try to do my best on the belt and on the front diff, things that I can control. So I run the car and tool, drive on the highway. Here I am. I got a speed zone that I'm in. I can't speed, but I got to get the car. Now I'm in four-wheel drive on the highway. Worst thing you could do. And now I'm driving. I got axles just swaying in the wind back there, just making all kinds of noise. And finally, we get to the bivouac or the the big trucks, and you know we made the decision that something happened on the axles from last year and the testing we did that the ride height and not having any travel right. We you know because we're on the highway, the car's not going up and down, uh, oiling the you know 
the the cage and the balls basically burned itself up. So we made the decision right then and there. Let's lower the car down. And for me, that was super upsetting because all the the testing we did and everything we had dialed in was like at the settings we had. So it like totally was killing my mojo here on day one and uh, ended up running. Oh, crazy story. Day one ended up running a super low tire pressure and had the car lowered down. And I was like, man, here we go. This is going to be a long race. We're going to get flat tires because the car sitting too low. I'm already in the bump zone before I'm supposed to be in the bump zone. I've already lost three axles. Day hasn't even started yet. And uh, we got to the start line of day one. To, you know, Sean and I are like, dude, all right, we just got to make this happen. And Sean's been doing a, you know, just. We're going to call him, by yeah, the way? Yeah, we are. Should we get him on for the whole thing? Let's, yeah, let's get him on here. All right. That way he could rebuttal any uh, non-factual stuff over here that you may be you gonna call? Yeah, spitting call him. out here. Sometimes, yeah. you know, Casey likes to exaggerate a little bit. Some, some, I'm just passionate. <laughs> and I like a good story. So sometimes I got to, I got to fudge the truth a little bit to make yeah. it. Ex- just got to keep you honest here. What's up, man? What's going on, Sean? Sean, we are you're on the uh, the Where to Next Casey Curry podcast with uh, myself, Aaron, and Kyle. And uh, we've been rapping about we basically just we've been we've been doing some discussion of stuff that happened before the car and, and like we got to we're at the start we did the opening ceremonies that was fun uh, and we basically we started getting into uh, we didn't get to stage one we got to three broken axles Casey's freaking out. We get to the start of the race, and they want to lower the race car down, which we already tested at the right ride height. And uh, we w- they wanted you to get involved because they feel that my my truth sometimes goes the wrong way. <laughs> so, yeah, you know. No, it's definitely uh, – I mean, that first day was definitely the day where kind of everything was thrown in one bag and <laughs> having all those axles go, not only us but other people as well, oh, was like, right. man – how, this is really how, how this bad race is was start. Casey freaking out at that point at when the third axle broke? Oh, uh, we were, I mean, we felt the one go. We're like, okay, maybe, maybe it was just a bad axle. So we keep driving, keep driving. Then another one goes, okay, now that's not a coincidence anymore. And then the third one that's gone. We're just, we're at that point where, I mean, it's the first day of the race as well. So we're ready on edge and you throw this into the mix. It was just a, uh, we, we weren't happy campers, for sure. It was just very, very stressful time. So especially going to the first day of a 12-day race. So it wasn't good. Yeah, we definitely lost. But that first day, I was just, I was just getting into the first day, we, uh, you know, we were running a lower tire pressure, and we, like, had a phenomenal day. No, that's where I feel that we set the, the bar, though, was, like, we went into day one and – we came out and our teammates were having bad days and just overall didn't push hard. And to me, I feel that that's when I was like, okay, all that crap that just happened behind us. And like, I feel that in the car, dude, we were meshing so well and everything was clicking. It was like, dude, this is what it's going to take. Like, obviously the hard part, what people really don't understand is like, you can only push so hard when there's dust. And on day one, we started basically by order or uh, car number. So it was all UTVs around us but the dust was so bad in some of those canyons and valleys that like 
you know, no matter how hard you push, like there's always somebody that's going to get clean air in a better position. Well, even on that, so with the liaison, and correct me if I'm wrong because I'm not the expert, but in the liaison, they give you a, a block of time to get uh, to the start of the race. So you didn't lose any, all of that time, like fixing those axles and stuff. You didn't necessarily lose any time on your race time. Um, no, not at no. all. Correct. Yeah, no. So I mean, basically, you get like, it'll be like two hours to drive, you know, what it will come I in. It'll be two hours to drive. They give 50 you plenty miles. of time. Yeah. To, so we to had get time. There. We changed the axles. Even then, I think we, we ended up lowering the car down. And then we, ended yeah, up getting, we did. We got to the start and we still had time to get out. Sean has, fuel. Sean has to take a leak because he doesn't wear catheters. I don't know how that's <laughs> even possible. But And then, uh, yeah, we still got fuel. And then I even still had time to cool off and relax before the start of the rally. Yeah. No, definitely, like, all those liaison sections and all that stuff, It going into that first day, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think we I think we were second in stage that day. Yeah, you guys were uh, or on the line, I don't know, but you guys finished second on that stage. Yeah, uh, so, we were the fifth car off the line. We were, yeah, fifth, yep. fifth car off the line, and then, no, sixth car, because it was 400. Oh, that's and right, then, uh, you're right. And then, um, yeah, we, I think we finished second that day, and like you said, I mean, we didn't, we hardly pushed that day. I remember saying, like, all right, start of the race. We had a couple issues at the beginning of the day. Let's just kind of gel and just see how this car is going to go, and let's just have a smooth, clean run. And when we got to the end, and everyone's like, you guys got second. We're like, no way. Like, we were kind of like, are you serious? Like, we – I mean, we we pushed, but we didn't – we weren't, like, like driving fast. We kind of were just trying to get into a rhythm of things. And for us to get, like, a, a second on the first day was, a, like, a pretty good – uh like achievement just be like all right well we know where we kind of stand and let's uh kind of keep pushing from here so yeah i i definitely feel that i feel the same way like i think that that first day is when it was it was like this is it we're this we have everything it takes to be competitive at this race yeah you kind of you kind of feel uh, play the field out and see where everybody's at and i mean not everybody obviously being such a long race you, you don't win on the first stage so um, just seeing what other people are doing and kind of where we sit was, it was kind of more just like a, like a, a thing for us just to be like, all right, we, we are competitive. We have the car that can do it. We, we know what we're doing. So let's kind of keep pushing from here on out. Yep. And then that, uh, you know, like even leading into the next couple of days, like if you look at our results, you know, like stage two, uh, we got fifth. Um, but, the crazy thing about the rally in that people like are always like, Oh man, you, you know, you were, you should be going for stage wins is that, you know, now going up the line second and all the UTVs around us, like that's where it gets difficult because on day two uh, and a couple of the other days, like people don't realize how bad the dust is for us. Like when we were not in the sand dunes, this, the dust is so bad. It's like the only thing you do is drive. And it's like that other guy that's, you know, that started, 10 cars behind us that had two big trucks ahead of them. Well, those two big trucks sprinted and now they're yeah. faster than the side-by-sides. And now all of a sudden it's like clean air. Like I will admit the the day that, um, uh, we got one flat tire, but the day that we, were, we got a flat tire, but we ended up driving to the, uh, pit stop in the middle and changing it where we literally had those sand washes where that purple car was rolled. Oh yes, uh, yeah. We were, pushing so hard and never got dust. And that was where like we, and I think that's, where we got third or second for the day on day seven, but we ended up like we were in the best position ever. We were pushing hard 
and had literally no dust. And the, you know, we weren't pushing in the way that like everyone else was in crazy dust. Like it just happened to be a, a fantastic day for us. And like we, yeah. we put time on everybody by not risking anything. And everybody has those days as well. I mean, it's, it's all kind of based on obviously where you start the next day. And the big thing is what vehicle is ahead of you. I mean, yes. if you have a T1 in front of you, okay, it's not, it's still bad. But when you have a stack of T4s, especially on days where it's very like those big days where we had those long straights where they Wide could do open. 140 kilometers an hour, we're, we're limited to 130. Uh, they're obviously going to beat you that day. So, you know, going in the next day, it's like, man, we got quite a few guys of these big trucks that just make this wall of dust and throw the biggest rocks out. So well, let's touch on that like, for a second though, too, because so explain where, where you finish. It, you don't stay within your category. So if you finish first or second in your category, you don't start in your category. That's overall. So, yeah. So it all depends on, so how you finish the stage before is how you start the following day. And then they'll mix all the vehicles in the, the bikes and quads will always leave first in the morning. Uh, they'll leave before any car gets on the road. And then once all the car category starts, that's T1s, T4, side-by-sides, and all the other classes. How you finish that day before is how you start the next day. So Based the off first of day time. when you start is all by category. And then from then on out, you start getting mixed in between trucks and T1s and any other category they can think of. And it just makes it a big uh, kind of a big mess of just cars bombing through the desert and you always want to try and be faster than the next guy so that you start ahead of him the next day. The crazy it doesn't matter what he's in. Even the other thing is like, just like you're saying that like, that's what so people don't understand is like, dude, there was days on the start line. You're like lining up. You're going like, dude, we got two, two, uh, trucks ahead of us. Like the trash trucks ahead of us. And, and you look behind, you're like, dude, we got three trash trucks. And you're like, you glimpse at you, you know, Sean will look at the road book and be like, Oh dude, it's like graded dirt roads. And it's like, they're going to catch us. And like that is the worst feeling because you're like, all right, we know off the start it, it's fast. Like, because he can obviously analyze the roadbook real quick. And, and you know, Sean did a, and I did a very good job of communicating to each other, like, where we wanted to kind of go fast or slow by him, like, in that 10 minutes of having the roadbook is like just going through it, be like, all right, there's rocks here, no rocks here, sand here. Like, uh, and I would say that comes into play though when you look at like the freaking cars behind you, you're going like, dude, how did those two T1s end up behind us? And like, oh, on a day that, in the sand dunes, if a T1's behind you, you're like, all right, when that guy finds us, we're following him. Like, because when a T1 it catches you, you know, like an auto, a, a car, when, when a car catches you in the sand dunes, they normally are way faster than us. But if you follow, you can basically latch on. Make up some time on that. Now, Sean, yeah. real quick, how how many times have you raced a car? I've raced it. I was actually thinking about that today. Uh, I've done... Did my first Dakar in 2015, so five five total now, including this one. Yeah, and I, the only since 2014, 14 was my first year that I actually went and experienced a car, but I just went as a mechanic. And then 2015 is when I was asked to ride in a T4, and so then I did 2015, 16, 17, skipped nine, uh, 18, and then 19 in a T4, and then this year. In the side by side, so yeah. How Five. how are those T fours, dude? Because looking, I mean, they are massive trucks. <laughs> Let's talk about those for a second. Because <laughs> every time I posted a, about one of the T fours, like everyone loved how cool they looked, how fast they are. Like they're, they're crazy. So 
let's chat about that real quick. How do, yeah, how did the, that category kind of start? So how, how, I mean, how the category actually originated was when Dakar first used to run years and years ago, when it first started, uh, all the trucks, the T6s and stuff, they would actually race or not race. They would drive in the desert when they used to be back in Africa. There was no paved roads. So the support vehicles and all the crews, they would actually have to drive through the desert to get to the next bivouac. It would be a different route than what the race course is. And so you had all these big six by sixes and stuff um, that ended up being like support vehicles. And slowly but surely they, they started, they ended up making that like a category. And then over the years, the T4s evolved into what they are now and they're full blown race cars. Now, I mean, you get guys that if you look at the Kamaz guys and DeRoy and all that stuff, those things are fully built to go 140 Ks through the desert and, and just bomb through the biggest rocks and bumps. And they look awesome. They're huge. Riding in the sand dunes is a crazy experience because all you see is the sky and then the ground, the sky and then the ground. It's super sure. weird cresting over stuff. And But being such a big vehicle and so heavy, I think you have the minimum weight those trucks in Dakar has to weigh is eight and a half tons. So that's a, that's a ton of weight to be bouncing through the desert. And it's like you're in a washing machine pretty much going through there. You just <laughs> see the in-car like footage and stuff, and you just get your insides just jarred all over the place. It's pretty wild. So <clears throat> one of the craziest things that I think me and Aaron saw was at the end of stage two, you guys, almost everybody started coming out of the wrong direction. So like we had cars coming from two different directions toward the finish and one of those directions still had to go back out to get a checkpoint. And so you guys were having to turn right and head opposite race course and like we're passing T4s in dust. Like we saw multiple moments where quads were going straight out of T4 <laughs> and yeah, we're like, that was a... is that the day we double flatted and then we did No, up... no, that was, you remember that day, um, where we could we came through a valley and over like this mountain crest and then you could see the finish line and the bivouac because the bivouac was like one kilometer oh, from yeah. the yep. and you could see the finish and I was like there's the finish but we still had one more uh, waypoint to catch and it was like it was super confusing that day remember we were, we were behind a T4 and they it was like a like, valley like a third day where there was like a that. power line day two. yeah. Was it day two? Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I thought we had a double flat that day and we're down like 25 minutes. But even on that note, you brought that up, um, you know, from a spectator standpoint or the team standpoint, like there's not a lot of places where you can actually watch the race cars go yeah, by. Yeah, that's tough. Um, they don't give you any GPS coordinate. Obviously, you know, the guys get a road book, so they're, that's how they're navigating. Um, but even the teams don't get... Um, a map or anything that shows where the race course goes. And so you don't get to see um, the cars really go by uh, that particular day. The bivouac was like right near the finish line. So we were able to drive out to the finish and kind of watch the guys come through. But yeah, that was insane because so many people were lost and you would think, well, why don't you just read your road book? But how hard is that Sean to, I guess not follow the tracks that you can see on the road versus yeah. trusting what you're reading in the notebook road book. So that, that day, no matter what, whenever you get that sense of you're lost, it, and it Casey's going to yell at you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, tried, dude, I, I think I did pretty good this year. I had some, no, moments. you did. 
I thought I felt pretty good. I've been trying really hard to get better at my own attitude. Yeah, how hard is it to not say that L word when you're next to him? You're like, uh, no, we're yeah. somewhere uh, in that area. We never. Uh, yeah. Okay, I will give Sean this year. It's just like a. Yeah, but we only uh, we turned around twice, and it was less than thirty seconds. I think we lost the whole rally. Which way? Left? Is that a yeah. question mark at the end of that left? Yeah. <laughs> I, we, and we, that's the hard thing oh. for on a navigator's perspective because at the end of the day, you're you're the guy there. You you can't tell your your uh, driver oh which way to go. I mean that's all relying on you. So when you make that mistake, it literally just puts a pit in your stomach. Yeah. You're like, hold on, and and. You almost just have to like pause, take a deep breath for a second, find out where you're at and kind of track back just one or two notes and see kind of in your head, play it back in your head. Okay, I know for sure that was the correct turn at that marking. And you that what makes a lot of navigators good is when you're lost is finding out where you made your mistake. And that was something that Jimmy Lewis like installed on us was trying to put us in situations where you are going to get lost but how to get out of it quickly because it's a matter of you can get lost for a minute or you can get lost for half an hour yeah so that day where we came across i think it was day two where you said like we saw everybody driving in different directions and i don't know if it was uh something in the road book but we missed our mark and fortunately, we went up over a rise, and I think Casey, I think you spotted out because I went. Oh, it was, a tr- it was a the, couple uh, notes. the equipment. Yes, and that's exactly what saved us. So all I did was go forward a few notes just to try and see what the terrain and stuff, and I saw construction work. So we're like, there has to be something construction going on. And in the distance, Casey, I think spotted a crane, uh, an excavator or something. Yeah, we so actually we, just, we actually went through it backwards. Like the yeah. waypoint. <laughs> so we just beelined it to the construction, fortunately found the track, hit the waypoint, waypoint uh, binged, and then so from there on, I was basically like. basically like Pictionary notes in your, uh, I think that <laughs> looks like construction. Is that guy jackhammering? What's going on? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's so, the hard, yeah, that's where training comes in. Like, you know, the hard part with everything going on is that people don't understand is that like, I don't care how fast you drive. If if you get lost and lose five minutes on a day, you can't make that up. Sure, you can gain 30, 45 seconds, but like you're not going to just go out drive the top is, you know, the top drivers in the world and just think you're going to lay down 10 minutes on the field. And yeah. that's where it's like you, you've got to like minimize those. And like that's where it comes into like. You know, like we obviously didn't have any big issues this year. I mean, it happens, but like when it does happen, though, it's like, all right, what are we doing? How are we going to attack this? How far back are we going to go? How are we going to go back? Are we going to make sure that, you know, are we going to try to go off piece? Are we going to try to stay on track? Like, how are we going to try to find the mark? Like, all that. That's where communication with the co driver, like, I feel having that relationship to the point where, like, Obviously, when when you're you get flared up, like what do you do, right? It's how far back you're gonna go and make those immediate decisions. And then like for Sean, it's like and and what works for me with Sean is that look whether it's right or wrong, make a decision, make a decision, stick to it. When we get to that point, okay, we're gonna reset again. But don't be like okay, let's kinda kinda. Well, what's kinda? Does that mean we're not going, or does that mean we're going? Yeah, definitely trying to be like affirmative on stuff and and just making sure that you you think it through thoroughly first and then make your decision and then proceed with it and try and 
see if it works out. If it doesn't, then you try again. You keep trying over and over. But, yeah, just making those marks and trying to see where you're at at all times is crucial, definitely crucial in this game. So out of all 12 days of racing, what was, like, the gnarliest day for you? Uh, I mean, all in all, we, we definitely had good days. Uh, there, I think that the days were – do you remember that one time we were going, there was a wash that we were falling and I think it was, I want to say it was after rest day or a little bit before that, but all of a sudden you see traffic. I think, uh, Chileco was coming backwards or somebody, and there was like two UTVs coming backwards. Oh, yes. And that's the worst thing is you're going down a wash. You think you're on your marks. And all of a sudden you see these cars go in the opposite direction. And, and cars that are like competing for the overall with us. Yeah, so initially <laughs> your your instant fit thought is we're lost, and because you're thinking like obviously everybody's turning around, and so those are the moments where you you like have that pit again. You're like, dang, I I we're lost. We've got to try and find something. But I think that day, and then another day that was kind of remember when the, uh when Carla Sainz and uh oh the minis Stefan Pedahansel came past us and, and turned we're around. like there's and turned around right in front of us because we started ahead of the cars that day, or it was some other section and it was just all backwards and so no it was it was definitely uh it was difficult i mean for the most part though i think the most stressful was the last two days just knowing what we had installed first, we we had it makes me nervous thinking about it. Yeah, we had everything to lose at that point. We're up ahead in the rally. We're first overall in our category, and it was just like just going through my mind the whole time. Don't make a mistake. Well, even Don't at mess that point, it, from uh, the media perspective, towards the last few days, you know, as Casey, as you guys were leading, um, not that they, they were totally biased against Americans or, you know, Can-Am, but, um, or any monster versus Red Bull guys. But the last few days, more and more media were just coming around and, and hammering you guys. How was that? I, I see for me, I don't, that I was losing the last two days. Like, <laughs> the last two I, days you did I, not want to do it. But I'm, I mean, I was disappointed. Like, see the, like, like you said, like having, you know, like Sean handle everything on the car side, as far as, um, the, where we're going to go, how we're going to attack the day. Um, and then obviously like for myself, like I overanalyze the car and how the settings, right? So we're like fine tuning the clutch and fine every single day. We were like tinkering on the clutch and like, I, but I feel like that was making me sane because I was not good. That media, because I don't know what it is, but the media is like, you're going to win the rally. And it's like, there's 600 miles of racing. 1200 kilometers or 1400 kilometers. I'm not, you don't go to the Baja 500 and say, all right, today's your day. You're going to win it. It's like, <laughs> dude, stop asking these questions. Like, Oh, what are you gonna do after you win? It's like, I don't even dude. If I don't win, I'm going to go kill myself after how freaking hard you're on me. It's like, dude, it's gnarly. Yeah, that was definitely, uh, and I mean, for, like I said, for me, just making sure that, at the end of the day, making sure everything's good and okay. And because if I were to be the one that say we got lost on the last <laughs> day or the day two, and, and it was like, if I was the one that like threw this away for everybody, it would just, 
I I could never live it down. So I was there was so much stress and just I think the last on the last day where I mean we did those adjustments and going into and I never told Casey until I think like I think till we got back was the final stage and there was those three quick oh yeah uh, waypoints and they were stacked up super close to one another and I think we're I mean we're pushing pretty hard to get to them because we had some dust ahead of us so but if we missed one and got to the finish you can't then once you cross the finish line of the stage you can't you can't go back and what's so, the penalty for 45 this? minutes. <laughs> yeah. And we so that would have thrown lead. it. Yeah. So <laughs> it's just like those last three, I didn't think I was saying too much. I was just staring at my notebook, the, the road book the whole time, just like, just hoping. I'm like, please hit everything. All, all I'm looking for is the number of the waypoint to hit on the GPS. And I'm like, and I think two of them were like back to back within like 500 meters or something like that. So I'm just the- like, please. Please don't miss them. Uh, the funny thing about that is the last day was the first and only day I feel that I could hear it in Sean's voice that he was nervous. <laughs> and then it's funny because yeah. I hearing your fiance saying like that you were like up since like two in the morning te- texting oh, her. Uh, I don't know how you guys slept at all. Like I, I wasn't even racing and I was like full stress but, mode. I'm like, dude, somebody should be out there like guarding but, the car, like any uh, sabotage. Like, but, so like, well, I, I will say, so I love you. I'll give you guys some insight. I hear like Casey Curry. The night before, I was in bed, and I was like, Sean, I need you to do me a favor, and I need you to take a shock pressure gauge, and I want you to personally go check the tire pressure. You're like, what? That's freaking ridiculous. I was like, dude, I need you to walk out there, and I need you personally. Well, I'll do the tires in the morning, or we'll do the tires in the morning, but I really, really need you to go. You, I need Because I know you're a mechanic, and I know you know how to read a gauge. I want you to go check the car yourself and literally and mind come back. you, it's like 10 o'clock in the morning or, oh, yeah, or 10, 10 o'clock 10, at night. Sorry. You're 10 or 11 it was at night late and literally comes back and go like, dude, front right corner had no air in it. And I was like, Oh my God, uh, this is, and I, at that point, like, obviously we didn't like whether it was sabotage or air leaked out or whatever happened, even though those shocks have never lost air since whatever happened happened. And I, Dude, after that, I was a mental case. Like, and then on top of that, so mind you guys, Sean is losing his mind because of he's got to hit all these waypoints, and he knows that you can look at the road book beforehand, and we know that oh shit, it's gonna be a gnarly day. Like, there's certain waypoints you can't miss, and just like you said, in the last three are the gnarly ones. Get to the finish line, halfway through the day, I think the day was only 150k, so short. Like, it was a sprint. Well, yeah. I, in my mind, I was losing it. The suspension in the front end for whatever reason, was super stiff. So Sean's got his own problems of being stressed out because of navigation, which I don't know about because I don't even know where we're going rather than what Sean tells me. And in my seat, I'm freaking out because I'm getting a ton of feedback in the front. Well, I don't I don't know if it was from the day before uh, the marathon day that something happened or all of a sudden the last day the car was 10 times stiffer than it was the day before. And for whatever reason, I was like, in my mind sleeping, I prepared everything that could break in that car. I know that Sean and I could fix. And I was like, all right, here's, here's what's going to happen. I was like, Oh, the only thing that is going to hurt me is a steering rack. I was like, I'm like, dude, we could pull if, you know, with our, you know, one of my teammates, which, you know, we had teammate support, which we can get to that later. Uh, dude, if all right, he pulls up behind me and he's right behind me. I'm like, we could pull trailing arms off shocks off front 
you know, all front arms off. We could fix everything except for that steering rack. That steering rack, I'm like, dude, the weight bolts in. It's just not a quick fix. And I was like, dude, that would be the what. And then sure enough, in my mind, all night I'm sleeping going, all right, don't break steering rack. Don't break steering rack. And here we go. And I'm getting feedback going like, all right, if I'm feeling feedback, that means it's going all the way through the electric steering. And I mean, it's transmitting all that load into the Himes and into the rack. And I was like, Sean, Sean, get out of the car. While Ray, don't, I'm, I'm not stopping because, like, we're freaking winning this thing. Climb through the window and adjust the shocks. And he's like, what? I was like, he's like, no way. And he, I, now looking at it, he has waypoints that he can't miss. I To me, I'm like, fuck the waypoints. I need, I need you to climb through the window of the car right now and adjust the shocks. And, like, the first, uh, we had two speed zones and are not, uh, we had two speed zones in the rally, which means you're, uh, when you have speed zone in uh, special, it means all right, you have to go at a certain speed. Like you're allowed to race. You go to that point and you drive like whatever, uh, 50 kilometers an hour for so long. Well, the first one we were like de- debriefing about it and it got to the point where it's too late. And then the second one, he finally climbed out of the car and was like, went out there and made it. I was like, I, s-, and that was only like 10 K from the finish. So it was like five miles. And, he, and the whole time he's going, dude, you got five miles like- left. It's like, we're never going to make it. Miles was this whole thing away. Like, in, but I didn't know that I, he told me that there was like some tricky waypoints and you know, in the debrief the night before they told us that there were some tricky waypoints. I didn't really know until Sean, you know, but obviously now talking about it, it's like he had double going on. Cause he's going like you, I got to put the road book down, which means now, the numbering is going to be, I got to go reevaluate all of our numbers to figure out where we're at to climb out the car and adjust well, it. What about the little card too? So you have a, a card that gets stamped, right? Like as you oh. go through certain checkpoints. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Do man. you remember that day uh, yeah. when we changed the flat? Yeah, we lost it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. So I, where this, is it? So tell Sean, what's the card? Your bingo, your, your poker. Uh, yeah. So that, that card is what, the time controllers and when you leave the bivouac in the morning they give you a card with your your car number on it and it gives you a time it gives you a time of uh when you have to be at the start and when your start time is and everything so what they they use that for is then also within the stages um there's certain uh checkpoints their cp points they call them that will be uh where they actually physically put a stamp on the car to make sure that you've gone through that checkpoint or whatever. So when you get to the end of the bivouac or the end of the stage and to the next bivouac the following day, you give them um, that card and you turn it in. So every day you get a new card. So that's how they keep time and, and uh, your positioning and all that stuff. So there's a big penalty for if you lose that card. Do you get a uh, new one every day or? Yeah, every day. So every morning when you leave the bivouac, you you get a time card and it has all your times throughout the day of when you should start and all that stuff. And then when you get to the finish that night, you turn it in at uh, at the bivouac that you get to. And so there there is a time penalty if you lose that card. And so I believe it was one of the days and it was super windy that day. I remember that. And oh, it was, it was in like, the rocks. Yeah, it was in. The, it was like lake beds, but it had these like lava rocks like scattered all over the place. So it was just like a war zone for flat tires. And so, and I didn't have a. I would always keep that note card in my road book. And so, I get out to change a flat. As soon as we jump back in, and I don't know how I saw it, but that day the the uh, card was orange. So 
I just see this thing like off the corner of my eye, like fly through the desert. And I'm like, hold on. That, and I start looking through my roadbook. I'm like, shit, I lost the card. <laughs> I'm like, pin my it. bingo card. And I, yeah. And so, I mean, it's windier in hell that day as well. So we're driving off to this thing and it's just flying through the, the wind is just taking it. We're like, it would have been so funny to see like if there was somebody out in the desert just watching us chase after this paper card, just bombing through the desert trying to catch it. But luckily we did. But and then after that, I we ended up putting a little pouch on the front of the dash where you zip. I uh, put it in and every day zipped it up so that wouldn't happen yeah, again. I was gonna but say you should just super glue that thing to you. Like <laughs> that was yeah. That, I was pretty stressed that day because I mean obviously from like changing a flat like you're going as fast as you can to jump back in trying to get your seatbelt on and all that stuff then to realize that shit this thing's gone and we're just trying to find it and catch up to it, jump out get it again so oh yeah yeah we, we learned that one. Oh, that was gnarly yeah another <laughs> one i just no man bringing back memories but i would say another thing that we did you know everybody broke at least one axle throughout the whole rally and you know like i feel that one of the reasons that you know when you end up like where we did uh, was the fact that like we literally changed an axle under 10 minutes from the time the car stopped to the time the car went was under 10 minutes. And like, dude, we literally had the rhythm. We didn't even have to communicate. We just, both of us had everything where we wanted it. And he had a certain job. I had a certain job and we literally busted an axle in under eight minutes. And it's crazy. Cause like you look at like some t people take up to like six minutes on a tire change. And it's like, Dude, we completely took the back of that car apart and put it back together in eight minutes. And like at the end of the rally, those days, you know, like Chaleco had axle. He lost 45 minutes on an axle. Yeah, everybody else averaged like 45. Yeah, I don't, nobody, nobody believed us as well when, we're, when we came in that day. And with our times and everything, we're like, yeah, we had a broken it. We have to change an axle. We're like, no, there's no way. <laughs> I was like, no, we did. I promise you. And uh, yeah, I mean, that was one of those things as well where – you and I went through it and we had, I had a little, I, I would keep a tool bag that was underneath my seat and it was just the tools that I knew. Like if we had to change a bell or do an axle or anything like that, it was quick access. And so it was easy to get to. So as soon as we had that axle go, I knew exactly where everything was. No, no, you got to keep all your tools in just a tool bag uh, yeah. uh, strapped in the back. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah. we, uh, we we kind of we got to change our, for the crew. I think well, that I mean, was a a gnarly part because, um, like you said, you you guys don't have any radios or communications, sat sat comms or anything. So for the crew, you know, we're all just sitting there, and I'll I'll give them that the the Dakar app was pretty awesome as far as like when you guys would go through a checkpoint, you know, you just keep hitting refresh on the app, and you know, it was it was pretty quick and pretty accurate. Um, yeah, I think there were a couple of days. Uh, and especially towards the end where the app was kind of glitching a little bit and we're like, dude, he's not moving. What the heck going on? But <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was the gnarly thing for the crew is like, you're just sitting there staring at your phone, just hitting refresh all day long. Uh, all right, sweet. They made it through that checkpoint. Oh, it's cool. They made up some time. Oh, they lost a few minutes. Like, yeah, you, like I said, you don't really see the cars go by and you're just, and, and sometimes was, you don't have service too. Yeah, so last day that felt like forever of hitting refresh so many different times. And like, I'm like, we're not even in the car. And like, I felt so stressed. I'm like, just finish, just finish, just finish, <laughs> just finish. Like, yeah, that, no, that, it's that definitely, I, was gnarly. I mean, for you guys, I, I mean, 
obviously with you two uh, chasing and all that stuff, how is it for you? I, mean, I was just thinking, like, how is it for you guys obviously being stressed out as well, following us going through the desert and kind of doing all dealing with all the other stuff that Casey and I don't see. Oh, yeah. What was the uh, dude? You, what was the day the, the car we, lost a tire? A we wheel? had two, two days or two different things. So, yeah, the one where uh, we were driving down the road, I was in the back seat and a tire just goes flying past us the opposite direction. And then, yeah, I was looking out the window. Joe was driving. I was sitting, sitting shotgun and I'm like, Hey, did you guys see that? And what? There was a tire just bouncing in the desert. I'm like, where the heck did that come from? And so we get to the top of a hill and there's this uh, truck, like a Toyota truck that had, uh, do the front tire, front driver tire just came off. The lug nuts were loose or something. Yeah. And you're just sitting on a rotor. Like yeah. and it was brand new too. Yeah. It was a brand new truck. And so we, uh, we're like, dude, should we help them? And we had nothing to do. It was gonna, it was a long drive that day, and we were gonna beat the the race cars back to the bivouac. So, um, yeah, that was. I think that was a pretty cool experience. You know, we went out in the desert and and grabbed the tire and and brought it back, and and the dudes were super grateful. They didn't speak English, but um, we're like, yeah, you need help, and they kind of like waved at us, like, oh, we kind of got it, and so we kind of were watching and. You know, they couldn't really find the jack and they, they were, the jack kept falling down and Joe and I were like, <laughs> all right, we, we got this for you guys and, and put their tire back on. And so hooked them up with some monster drinks and they gave us, uh, some dates and, uh, that was a, a pretty cool, uh, pretty, pretty cool story that day. Yeah. Then, <laughs> so the other time I was thinking about was the first time that I thought we were going to have any kind of conflict there was when we saw a giant pack of camels on the side of the road. So we were full uh, americans like oh we don't see camels everywhere we stop we go to take some photos of it and like then we see a dude in a truck like storming over to us and we're like oh great we're in trouble like we got too close like so we start walking back to our truck and like he pulls up to us and like he doesn't speak english and so we're like oh we're leaving we're leaving like so sorry we're sorry and like he gets on the phone and calls his son and like uh his son speaks english and he's like oh like my father like he wants to welcome you to our country. You take as many pictures as you want. And we're like, we Offered read that. Some com- camel milk. Yeah, we, were, we <laughs> read that situation completely the opposite direction. Like, So, like, yeah, that, the, interacting with the the locals, they're like, we had nothing but good experiences on our trip. Yeah, everyone was super nice. Yeah, that's what I definitely think this. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but going into, uh, and I know Casey and you, Kyle, you guys went uh, like two months before, but the whole like stereotype of, oh, you guys are going to Saudi Arabia, literally just like threw, thrown out the window when we got there. It was nothing but like nice people, just the most awesome scenery. Everything was was totally not what I had kind of thought it up to be and like expected it to be. Agreed. It was uh, night I think and day the, difference. I think the, cra- like the craziest thing, right, there was I think two times um, – where they shut down for prayer. So we were at this oh, at the yeah. mall getting some groceries and stuff once. And then we, uh, um, we were going to go get food grocery shopper on rest day. And so, yeah, like we were in the middle of grocery shopping and, and, uh, they just came over the loudspeaker and like, you got 15 minutes and then they shut down for an hour. So that was kind of like the culture shock. That was when we, when we went to go get those phone cards. And if you're like inside of the store, oh, they okay. like lock you in. <laughs> yes. That is and then so <laughs> you got it. Yeah, you got to like be a part of it. It's pretty wild to see that. You know, we, I guess another little story we could talk about is that our McDonald's uh, car accident. 
Oh yeah. <laughs> we, so we, at one of the days on the, after the race was over, uh, or after the special was over, we had a long, uh, not a long liaison, but like whatever, an hour and a half drive. And like, dude, 10 minutes before the end of the, uh, end of the liaison was Mickey D's. And sure enough, we see all like our whole team just and all these guys sitting there. We're like, oh, dude, we're for sure driving through. Then we, we like, we were joking because we're like, we got to get out of here before he shows up because he's going to be pissed if he sees that we went to McDonald's and didn't get him anything. So we were like on our way out and you pull in. And we're like, oh, dang, we were red handed, caught red handed right there. Oh, uh, yeah. So we made the decision we're going to drive through. Then we filmed it. It was fun. Like we ordered drive through and like, we, dude, every time I get a McDonald's, dude, I'm, I'm not a McDonald's fan in America. I uh, just don't eat it very often here. But as far as over there, dude, that's like the best tasting food I've ever had. And uh, any, <laughs> any opportunity to get some uh, chicken McNuggets down, I'm going to eat some chicken McNuggets. It's just a taste of home, basically. Oh, 100%. But, but we, uh, so anyways, we drove through and Sean and I pulled out and we were going to go, basically we pulled out to go get back on the race, like whatever the, the, street. the, the street and, uh. Like if somebody in awe basically pulled out in front of us at like five miles an hour and drove into the front of the Can-Am just fully smoked the front of this truck. And the kid was like in such shock that we're like, Oh dude, this can turn into a nightmare, like total pain in the butt. And the kid drove off totally. he He was in total shock. He looked like he was like 15 years old too. Not even maybe 14 and like, maybe took his dad's truck to go get some uh, <laughs> chicken nuggets or something <laughs> down the road. And yeah, it like we, he hits us and Casey and I like look at each other, like, did this really just happen? And as soon as I jump out to like, see if luckily it didn't do a thing to the Can-Am. I mean, it didn't bend nothing, didn't scratch nothing. It was perfectly fine. But the, the front of the guy's car, his bumper was falling off everything. And Radiator just, was in the fan. Thing was totaled. Yeah. yeah, he just took off down the road. I was like, well, I mean, there's not much we can do. We're not going to chase. And then do you remember um, it was that same day uh, after it happened to us, and then when we got into town, it was there was a ton of traffic, and big, Pascal and the T4. Yep, smoked the they, back of a car. Yeah, smoked the back of a car. And then that, there was, like, police involved. And, I mean, it's a at the end of the day, you're in another country doing a rally. You still have to like abide by their, their traffic laws and stuff like that. So when stuff like that happens, like you, you have to assess it like, as if, like if it was something here, cause they can actually, you can actually get penalized big time from the race organization. If Oof. you have like big accidents or anything like that. And if it's your fault or if you're speeding, they take it very seriously because at the end of the day, they still want to respect the countries that they're in and Agree. be able to come back and race the following years and stuff like that. So, I mean, f- with, with our little incident, I mean, the guy just took off, so there's not much we could do about it. And we just kind of carried on with our day, but there definitely is times where it, where the racers do make mistakes. And especially after long days where you've been driving all day long racing and stuff, you're tired and stuff and little things like that happen. But one of the things I want, wanted to kind of bring up, and I guess this could be a sensitive subject, but uh, the Dakar experience. So, and I think this was new for this year, right? Correct me if I'm wrong. Yes. Yeah. The Dakar experience. They did like a test yep. run of it last year where it was at the halfway mark, you could come back in. So like if you had a bad stage one through five, you could, if you didn't finish the stage, you had to wait till stage six and you could go again but it's only like you only counted for the half of it so they were breaking it down at the driver's meeting the first day um 
So basically, if you had a, a, a bad day and it, and you and it puts you out of the race, um, so now you are out of the race, and then you enter a class called the Dakar Experience, and that allows you to continue driving in, in the rally, but you're not competing. Um, so I think the the actual reasoning for the that experience class is for like the I think the the reasoning and the explanation we got was it was meant for like the guys that are just there to participate in the race and you know they're there and all they want they're not going to get the overall right i mean and up until the utv category like in the auto category the top 10 guys are basically crazy far ahead of the rest of the field and it's for that they're, they're some the, the goal with it was like oh man i you know i had one bad day and normally everybody knows or if you don't know in dakar one bad day and you're done if you don't finish the stage you go home that's it race is over so now they brought in this experience class, and the goal was that, like, oh, man, you're already 280th place. We'll let you start again. But Which originally I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. If I've spent all this money to get here, I have a bad day day one, and now I'm just out of the race, or, you know, you don't get a drive. Like, dude, that would kind of suck. So my first take, I was like, oh, that, that's kind of cool. Um, but then as the race kept going, um, you know, you're in the experience class, and you're and now you get to – win a stage and you kind of get the glory and, and then not to take anything away from those drivers that, you know, had a good day that day, um, in the experience class. But, uh, I don't know what was kind of your feeling about that. Yeah, it's definitely, I mean, from what we were seeing in that whole class and stuff. And I mean, I, I get it. I see why the organization does it. I mean, you, you see how much it costs to go and do a race like this and you've already traveled halfway across the world. If, if you don't finish day one, it's, it's nice for the guys to be able to restart. But, uh, that whole thing where they, and I think what happened was when it first, because this year was like kind of their first year of actually allowing you to start the, the day after you didn't finish, uh, where, they kind of didn't explain it very well to the public media on like what it entailed on like, yeah, they can go and, and, and get a stage win. And because at the end of the day, they're, they're already out. So they could push as hard as they want that day just to be able to, to get their name on top of the ranks where guys that are still in the race, they're still thinking of the overall, they're still thinking like, okay, we got to save this car and all that stuff. So it kind of changes the, the mindset of the driver and stuff uh, of what you're doing if you're still in the race or out of the race. But I think towards the end of it, I'm, I mean, definitely in the middle where uh, they started, everybody started getting the only stage wins and stuff. And it was kind of brought to their attention. Like, listen, we're still the guys that are still in the race. Now you're letting them. And I, and I believe before they would still let them start ahead of us until like it was a couple days later where they're like, all right, if you're in the Dakar experience class, doesn't matter where you finish, you're always going to start at the back. So, which they ended up end, changing that thing. They ended up changing, they ended up letting them, it, it happened for like the first couple of days and then they ended up starting to put them in, in position. Yeah, it was, it was something I, I can't remember too, it would, but they started mixing it up and that's where everybody started getting mad about it was like, yeah, okay, I understand you're in the, you're in this Dakar experience class, but now all you're doing, if, if you're allowing them to start ahead of us, you're just making our race worse because you're now putting another vehicle in front of us that creates more dust and all that stuff. So it really, 
it wasn't like I, I shouldn't say it wasn't fair because I mean they they made it for that reason for the guys to to try and continue on, but um, I think they just need to kind of fine tune on how the the rules and regulations are going to be with that next year. Yeah, I, I agree on that. I, I and I think they already are. Uh, from what I hear, they're gonna they're trying to you know fix that. I, well, I mean it sucks for us because we basically we didn't get a stage win this year because of, of that but you know there's two days that we should have won the, the day but yeah I, you know at, at the i mean at the end of the day it is what it is and and that's that was one of the things like talking about stage wins i mean i don't know how many times that i think i i told you i was like dude we we don't need stage wins and i mean you clearly you look at it without getting a single stage win you can still win the overall oh yeah and that's what a lot of people don't like understand that aren't too familiar with rally stuff is like it's the longevity of it so as long as you're you is you have to be consistent as long as you're consistent every day by the end of the race you you get the big prize not just the short day because nobody i mean you don't look back on like oh i won this stage or that stage it's like no did you win the race or not so it's i think that one was, of those things that, where you it's hard down. though like that's one thing that bums me out it's like here's the deal like we could have gone to the last day and then whatever some life happens and and we broke and we ended up getting third overall and it's like then you get home and you're like well dude all that we could have pushed hard all those days we practiced you know going for the overall and trained you know all the days that we basically strategized for the overall if we didn't win the overall it's like dude we just threw away our chance of, you know, there was multiple days where we could have won the overall and we didn't, we didn't push hard. We totally kept it cool. And, uh, but you look at it. Yes, you're absolutely right. I, it, you know, but I will say that it's hard cause you're also getting people going like, dude, why aren't you trying to win? How come you're not winning? How come you're not going for stage when it's like, dude, we have a 20 minute lead overall right now. What do you like stop? But it's like, you know, the people at home don't realize that they go like, Oh, Curry, you know, finished fifth or, seventh or yeah there's a bunch of days in a row where it's like seventh you but you either like gain time on the lead like you extended your overall yeah. but you're like day by day you're like dude you're seventh come that, on what are you doing well and that's it's like yeah well that's where like just so you say like we got four days where in a row we got seventh but we gained time overall every day but that's where people are like oh dude you should have just done it's like well technically the guy that was ahead of us by you know or the guy that was in second place he started ahead of us and then he we saw him get a flat tire, and then from there we kept pushing. It's like we know if he doesn't pass us back that we've gained a minimum of whatever it is, 30 seconds, a minute, four minutes, six minutes, and then it's like you put that in the back of your head. You're like, all right, as long as he doesn't pass back, we just gained six minutes on second. Or the days that, it, you know, Chaleco was ahead of us on the overall, it's like he have a bad day. All right, boom, we caught him. We know where we're at. Like, But obviously at home you don't see the strategy set. All you see is like, Oh, you did. You guys got second yeah. or third or seventh. It's like, yeah, but and I we think, know all these little things by just playing the game. I think as the race went on too, um, I think I noticed that on your face a little bit more each day. Like you were frustrated. Like you guys wanted to win a stage. Um, but, I, it, but keeping that eye on the prize, like, yeah, like you said, you came in seventh or sixth or whatever you finished and you still put time on the overall. I would say that, like, also having, you know, for myself, like, you know, having, having, you know, you, like, having, like, Dave from Monster Energy there with me, like, I would say there are certain things that all kind of leveled myself, you know, like, having 
to me a, a big wake from Monster Energy being a part of the Dakar Rally is obviously something that like I feel like uh, uh, very uh, grateful for the opportunity to have them with me. But then when I got in the situations where that pressure was building, you know, there was nights when he'd literally come and go like, here's the deal. I'm not paying you to get a stage win. I don't give a crap if you win a stage. We're here to win the rally. And it's like, you would never get that if they weren't there, right? And I could have drove myself into the ground thinking, you know, it's a mental game. And I could have drove myself into the ground thinking that. And it's like having those kind of words and, you know, that those little chime in words helps, right? There's days that Andrew Short and Ricky would come up and, and basically, you know, like obviously, I, you know, Sean's doing everything he can as a co-driver. I'm like the voice of the team, which sometimes I voice too much. And it's like, my whole thing is like, dude, there'd be days where like, man, do we push hard? Do we not push? And it's like, you know, day five, we're winning the rally overall. And it's like, I think it was stage three. You were like, you were a minute and a half off of the stage win. And so like you came in, you're pissed. You're like, you oh, we got a wait. flat tire. We yeah. should have shown that was the day we, we should have won the stage. We got a flat, like 10 K from the finish. You came in yeah. you super pissed off. Cause you're like, dude, I just threw away my stage win. That was my, like my first yes. stage win. And then we're like, dude, you're leading the overall now. And you're like, yeah. okay, then it wasn't that bad of a day. Yeah, you're I, just like, it was a cool. <laughs> we're like, dude, just you got to calm down for just a second, man. Yeah, like, it's, it's hard though. Yeah, that, dude, they're like, when you have to go to bat, like, my only way of explaining the situation we were in is like, imagine racing the Baja 500 and a race mile 350 at the last fuel stop. You have a 20 minute lead. Life is good. Everything. And they're, and you're, they're going to ask you to pull your helmet off and do a quick 30 second interview. Hey, you're going to win this. It's like, if you did that to any driver that races trophy truck or class one or 6,100, dude, they would totally lose their cool. Like I, there's no possible way that they're going to sit there. And like that, we had to do that at the end of the day. It's like, we still have another 500 miles to go tomorrow, but they're going to sit there and ask us, you know, how we're doing. Oh, you got this in the bag. No problem. Even though we have no idea where we're going tomorrow and it's all sand dunes and crazy terrain. Yeah, just like totally jinxing the whole thing. Yeah. We're sitting there and just like, no, come on. Many, <laughs> many, yeah. many jinxes that in my head. Uh, yeah, <laughs> definitely. I guess like another thing that people don't really know is like, you know, we slept in a basically a sprinter van size motorhome uh, with a bed on top of the uh, cab and two, the double bunks in the back that are all singles. Right. And Casey likes it hot. I'm uh, like a cold. <laughs> it was in the 30s at night. It was freezing. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, on the uh, on the sleeping side, like, dude, when people like don't what people don't realize, like Kyle obviously does all my media and all that, you know, but we and Sean rode in the car with me or, you know, but the thing is, is that we basically from 6 a.m. or 5 a.m. or 4 a.m. till 10 o'clock at night until we went to bed there. We never we didn't, there's no breaks, right? There's no bad days. And that's where people think like in America, when you're like, Oh man, I got frustrated. I just needed to cool off. Like, I feel like that's where as a team, you have to really learn, uh, your place. Like for me, like I know that I can get hot headed, right? I know that I can get, have a crappy attitude. And, and, and when I have a bad day, I just ruins everything. But now like, dude, even if you get out of the car, it's not like you get all frustrated and pissed off at Sean and, or pissed off at anybody. And then, I have to go back and sleep in the same motorhome <laughs> and like, RV. I yeah. gotta go eat at the bivouac and I gotta, you know, we're going to sit there in the motorhome and hang out together. It's like you, that, but I really feel like as a person that did it, it makes me, it makes you so much stronger to like 
go through those challenges and be like, dude, we literally slept in the crappiest motorhome that yes, they, they'd unplug it and turn the heater off at like 2 a.m. It's like, well, from 3 a.m. till 6 until I got to get up, I'm just going to sit here absolutely freezing. Well, and- so <laughs> that was uh, your first Dakar with an RV, right, oh, yeah. Sean? So, oh yeah, that was that was luxury for me. So, that was in heaven. So uh, the year before, I did a single night in a tent, and that was enough for me. I don't know how you do two weeks straight in a tent, like. Yeah. Well, even let's talk about the mechanics for a second too, because oh, like yeah, they, you said the the mechanics, you know, the drive all the prima donna driver, <laughs> driver a co driver, you know, for the South Racing team, all those dudes had uh, motorhomes. Oh. Uh, the mechanics, like those dudes, are literally sleeping in a tent in a hammock on the floor in one of the uh chase trucks like those those dudes and and granted they're not getting that much sleep they are literally thrashing on the cars all night long and that was like for for me because i've done it i mean i could say now that i've i've kind of done kind of little every part that is involved with dakar being a mechanic on the ground and then being a mechanic in a t4 to then actually racing it in a vehicle so i've kind of seen all the like perspectives of what is involved and what it entails and definitely like for us it's we i mean we this year we we have our own work cut out for us racing and stuff and making sure everything's all good but i give it to the guys that are the ones wrenching all night long because i mean we think we're there's a couple times where we wake up in the morning and these guys are just like cleaning up oh, yeah. from so working all night I felt long. Like such an asshole! I'm like, God, yeah. can't you guys be quiet out there? <laughs> <laughs> well, so and, that brings up the original by Motul, the guys that are riding and mechanicking all oof. by themselves, as well as trying to get some sleep. Those guys are gnarly. I yeah. I truly enjoyed what that class was about. So you want to give a little breakdown real quick on what those dudes do? So original by Motul is a motocross class where they have a tiny toolbox that that's all the tools they have. They have to ride all the miles. They have to work on their bikes themselves and everything in between. So basically they're a one man crew the entire way through and, and they sleep in tents. Yeah. And they sleep in tents and not comfortable. They they are gnarly. Like, and uh, we found out only having to shower in the bivouac like one or two times that there's no hot water in the bivouac. Yeah, I, yeah. I I thought that class was really cool. I don't think I'm man enough to ever try that. Absolutely but, um, not. Pretty pretty neat story <laughs> what those guys go through. Uh, the, uh, but now uh, on the mechanic side, another twist to the the you know the race program for us was that. Did my mechanic probably caught coronavirus? Oh yeah, and uh, our mechanic, <laughs> our mechanic, and. Fully got a hundred and seven fever and went and ended up actually staying in the uh, bivouac medical tent overnight or for two nights, and for yeah, five he, days of the rally, we ended up getting a substitute uh, substitute from basically another portion of the team to be our mechanic. So like the night strategy meetings basically went away for a couple nights due to that our crew chief was well that was nerve-wracking because i'm like dude he showed backup i'm like you need to stay away from casey and sean just for a little bit like dude i can't have them getting sick like the the best story about that whole thing was i remember the one morning when he was like you could just tell he was like super sick when when we got up that morning and he had he's like 
he had a beanie on and he's just like, I got this rash and oh, he's yeah. like coughing and all this stuff. I'm like, and so he shows me and the whole side of his face is just red. I'm like, man, that I, I was like, you, something's wrong here. Like that doesn't look good. Come to find out. He had a plastic bag over his pillow, and it was the ink from the bag. <laughs> no left, way! Yeah, yeah. Left it. Yeah, it was the ink on. No, I thought it was a rash the whole time. No, <laughs> no, no. Because the one other mechanic ended up going to him later that, and you know how the Portuguese are—they mess with each other constantly. And so the uh, the one other mechanic goes up to him and takes a rag and just starts like wiping it, and he's like. How come your rash just like wipes away? And, he, and he's like, "You're kidding me!" Because I mean, the whole time Pedro he like wouldn't touch oh, it. I remember. Like, he thought legit was a rash. <laughs> I never heard that. Yeah. He had a, he yeah. gave himself a temporary tattoo. Yeah, it was on his ink face. Off of, a, off of a bag. Oh, it was red ink. Awesome! I did not know that. I thought he had a gnarly rash. <laughs> no, no. So I started when I heard that. I was like, "You're kidding." So oh. that kind of lifted his spirit once he once he knew that he was rash free and it was just like a like a cold or whatever it was but he, he came right after that oh oh i gotta <laughs> I, I have another good story sorry man i'm, I'm bra- uh one of the nights uh actually the night we we're going into the Riyadh at the halfway mark we pulled out of we finished a special we're all stoked that it's that we're coming into the most beautiful city we got pre-warned in the driver's meeting to look at the city because it's beautiful at night and uh i was like we start driving and we're getting like 10 k's from a town and I'm like, dude, Sean, there's a black suburban following. Dude, it, was like oh, a, yeah. it was like a hundred k's. Oh, okay, yeah. What? <laughs> and for yeah, what? It, I felt like hours, but the uh, co- uh, we and to this day we have no idea. But we got followed. Uh, we did get followed by a black SUV with blazing blackout windows with no branding and no race anything on it from whatever, 100Ks out of uh, Riyadh all the way to us cutting off racers at the finish to basically make sure we slid into the bivouac. Gnarliest yeah, you, experience ever. I, I wasn't paying attention, but you you were the one that told me because we were driving, and so Casey goes, I think this guy's following me. And so I'm, I'm not thinking much of it. I'm like, oh, it's just a coincidence because it's very long roads there. With just wanted like, to no ask for some directions, stuff. dude. <laughs> Slow <laughs> down. Asshole Americans. Down. A picture, but Ugh. yeah. So anyway, so like I'm not thinking much of it. So I just tell Casey, I'm like, all right, well, if you think he's following this, just speed up a bit and just kind of zigzag throughout the cars and just see what happens. Sure shit. The guy does the exact same thing. Pulls behind right next to or like not next to us but just kind of just off of our back bumper and so we keep going and i'm like all right now i'm starting to like think like all right this guy is really following us so we now we're pulling like all these kinds of like maneuvers and stuff of just and you're just thinking in your head like i mean for all we know the guy just either just wanted to see the car or whatever but it was just a coincidence of going such a long distance and I think the one time we even got in the emergency lane and bombed through yes, traffic. Yes, we did. And the guy did exactly everything we did. Oof. And the one time he actually pulled up next to us uh, on the road. And as soon as I looked over, he slammed on the brakes and then got behind us. So at that point, we're like, all right, something's going on here. We're in the middle of Saudi Arabia with an American flag just flying <laughs> on the side of the car. We're like, God, we can't be in any worse of a situation right now. So, yeah, we ended up all the way to the bivouac. I mean, every off-ramp we took, every exit, we would even take the exits late uh, going onto, like, other freeways. 
just Oof. to see if we it felt like we we're in a movie almost of just like a high speed like chase like dodging through traffic and stuff and as yeah. soon as we get to the bivouac there's a line of cars uh, race cars going in to get like giving their time cards and everything and we drove along the side and cut i think like 10 cars off we're like we got to get in here and as soon as we pulled in that uh that suv or whatever stopped and we just went into the pit and we never heard anything else of it so it was wild not comfortable well yeah. that was a uh, that reminded me about me and aaron got put into timeout for 24 hours um, i didn't do it you were in it the same car with us <laughs> But we, oh yeah. So <laughs> there's rules and regulations for, for every everything. Single thing. So for media, they give you a couple points on the race course where you can go and shoot photos and stuff. And it was probably like midway through, and we were like, "Oh, let's go shoot the start." And so I asked for the coordinates for the start, and they're like, "Oh, that's not part of your coordinates for the day." I'm like, "Oh, okay." So I like. And we were told, like, oh, yeah, if we give you the start coordinates, the teams can figure out the race course based on that. And we're like, all right, yeah, that makes sense. So we figured, all right, well, we'll just follow a race car to the start. So follow a race car to the start and waiting for you guys to go off the line. And about a minute before you guys take off, I get a, a text message from the media organization saying like, what are you guys doing at the start right now? We told you that we're not giving you the start points. So we're like, well, we just followed a race car. He's like, you're not supposed to be there at all. You guys are in violation of the the rules. And I'm like, uh, okay. And they're like, we have photo evidence. And like, they send me a photo of our media vehicle. I'm like, okay. Um, and they're like, you are now restricted. You have to come straight to the bivouac. We are not giving you any points for the next 24 hours. And I'm like, I'm full freaking out. Cause I'm like, I'm going to get Casey in trouble right now. Like he's leading the race right now. And I am going to get him kicked out. Like he's going to DNF because of me. I uh, like, I went full freak out mode and it turned out to be okay. Like they put a, like slapped us on the wrist and they're like, you're not allowed to leave the bivouac for 24 hours. So like we got put in detention. Yeah. But that's the thing with this organization that I, I don't think a lot of people like know, especially here in the States compared to like what the desert racing we do down in Baja and stuff like that. The, the rules of there's no outside assistance is very, very strict. I mean, only competitors can help each other within the stage. Obviously, at nighttime in the bivouac's different. You can have guys work on your vehicle. But, like, an instance like where you guys do the media stuff, they don't like to give any information. That's why you, you don't see a lot of spectators. You don't see a lot of people out on course and everything. So, at the end of the day, you – you're out there by yourself and you have you and possibly a teammate that's gonna that's willing to help you out to to get through the stage so there's zero zero outside assistance that's allowed and well, you guys get penalized for it and that's even gnarly too is like um we were talking about earlier you know um uh, where you where the racers can get assistance so if that day the race the start of the race is going kind of the opposite direction on where the uh next bivouac is you know we'd hop on the road and start headed toward the bivouac well um that they call that i think the common route or something like that yep so the race cars if they are not on the same route uh, as the teams and stuff you're not allowed to get assistance so say on that first day you guys had the broken axles if if that wasn't luckily that was a uh, common route and we were all heading the same direction but if that was not like you guys would have been totally screwed. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's how 
with us with this organization you you'd always see on especially long days long liaisons and stuff you don't realize that okay yeah you're you're just on the liaison you're just driving but you're putting fatigue and stress on a on a race car that you're trying to save and not put as many miles or kilometers on it as much as possible so the liaisons can can actually kill you as well sometimes i mean so you you'll always get what we would do is by the end of the common route so say it, there's like a wide junction where the race cars have to go one way to the start and you guys have to go another way they would always set up like a pit so our crew our mechanics would be there and we would do like one final check all right double check tire pressures change the belt put a new belt on if there's any sort of issues that we've accumulated uh on the liaison let's diagnose it right then and there before we actually go into the start of the stage and yeah saying that morning i mean we're we're extremely lucky that because if we had those three axles i mean we didn't we don't even have enough spares on the car to change all three of them so and some days you get lucky where you have like a long period of time on a common route where you could have like a couple hundred k's or sometimes you have zero i mean the days where there's where you leave from the bivouac and you end at the same bivouac there's no assistance once you before you get to the start of the race so makes it uh it definitely makes it uh difficult sometimes for uh what can happen on your car and then you're or you're relying on yourself to make those changes on what day did it just feel like groundhog's day like so in 13 days you race for 12 and in the middle you had a day off so like the same thing every day two weeks basically i felt that in just like writing articles i'm like i'm just saying the same thing like and same thing like trying to interview casey like it was a good day there was dirt and uh we finished there's just like felt like that was on repeat but i i feel that I, I don't know this year, but like I mean, obviously I'm I I'm new, but I'm not new. But I'm like Sean came from, coming from like in the like obviously having to rough it more of going from tents. Like I feel like we had it pretty comfortable. Like we had it pretty spot on. We showed up, our motorhome was dialed in. We had everything we needed. Like besides next year, I'm shipping over my own generator so that way my own generator can run the whole time. But <laughs> the you know for us like dude, it was pretty like every single day. I mean, we pretty much ate the same thing every day. We drank the same amount of fluids every single day. Well, you didn't even eat the bivouac food every day. No, I only ate the bivouac food like four times. I Not just... going to lie. The bivouac food kind of sucked. Oh, Dude, God. it was better than Peru. Yeah. No, nope. I felt it was better than Peru. Dude, there, that, that, the night you guys went and ate fish. I didn't eat fish. Oh, yeah. Sean did. You didn't <laughs> eat that night. Yeah, I did. It was I did. Gnarly. One night I missed out on food completely. I showed up like five minutes after they stopped serving. I'm like, I thought this went 24 seven. Yeah. Basically Ricky That's... would put it up on uh, social media. What, it, what was Bivouac food? And we'd say, Nope. <laughs> <laughs> and he would always carry his, his mustard that he had with him. Oh, his own, uh, and hot sauce. Of mustard. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. that's, that's one thing I've learned just over the, the years that I've done Dakars and all that stuff is, I mean, you do get some nights where it's like, all right, this is actually pretty good, but, majority of the time it's not we're just for i i would assume for like the people that like the locals that's probably like 
awesome food but for us i mean our palates are different and all that stuff for us we're just like uh that's what kind of made me sad there was no alcohol and shitty food and i still Ah, didn't lose weight while i was gone i don't (laughs) know what happened all i wanted to do was just spray a shot bottle of champagne at the end of the rally but there's <laughs> nothing i was so mad i was like damn it yeah we uh yeah we never yeah that that is funny we never got to do that i didn't even we didn't the crazy thing and that's another whole thing about like oh celebrating we finished we did podium we did the whole podium thing got back uh did your interviews did our interviews uh right then and there no hotels changed in the in our motorhome made sure we had everything Loaded everything we had in a bus and right then and there went to the airport. Well, like a two-hour drive to the airport. Got sat there for two or three hours at the airport, and then boom, we we're on a flight. And it was like, like on a flight. From next thing, layover. Boom, uh, we're home. And it's like, there and then were, went straight to Superman. Yeah, Super straight Super. to yeah. But we had no. There was like no hotel, no. It was re- like last Supercross season. Yeah, I haven't seen. Yeah, right. <laughs> we, but we, there was no like enjoying the moment. Like we never, it never soaked in. It was like just hammer down, yeah. go. Pretty, pretty yeah, wild. It was like, definitely one after the next. Yeah. So, but now overall, man, the whole the, the the experience for me was, it's incredible. Obviously, it's only my second time, and I feel very blessed to be able to win it in in the second time. But I feel that like. One thing that people don't realize is how much time and effort and, and discussions and things that go into all those little tiny small things. We had a lot of things that ca- could have taken us out of the race. Uh, and But I say that like there's a lot of strategy, uh, a lot of things that you and I do in the car uh, beforehand, during, and even during testing that in certain situations, you know, this is our protocol. This is what we're going to do. And I feel that by doing everything that we said we were going to do and discuss the way things, you know, having the discussions at the right times, I feel like leading into the future uh, for racing more of these events is like only going to get easier to be able to be competitive. I feel like getting that win out of the way and now being that pressure will never come back the same. It's always going to be, it'll be a different type of pressure, but it'll never be those jitters of being like first, the first American. Oh man, the first yeah. time I'm ever going to win the first time Sean's ever going to win. Like there are so many firsts that it's like you, the whole time you're going like, Oh, it's going to end like five miles from the finish. The car's going to blow up and it is what it is. But yeah. now it's like all that being done and said, it's like, it's only going to make the next one easier. Well, yeah, I guess yeah. one of the things, sorry, Sean, uh, one of the things no. I was going to say is like, I, I think it's kind of cool. Obviously, you're not the first American to ever go over there and race. There's been plenty of Americans that have gone and race it. But um, I'd say the last couple of years of you doing it and uh, a lot of more people in the side by side, you know, community have more interest in wanting to go. What? what yeah. What would you say to them? Like, <laughs> to me it's just like you can't really wrap your head around it until you go and experience it but i don't know what would uh, your advice of those rookies that want to go try it uh i would say don't show up to the car you can go first sean (laughs) i i mean when you look at i mean i've i've done my dakars in the past and back in when i first did them there like you said there were a couple americans and these last two years have, and I've always said, like, I wish more Americans, you always saw Robbie Gordon and, and guys like that come over and compete and they made a name for themselves, sometimes good, sometimes bad. But it's like, 
you always wanted those more and more Americans to show up because at the end of the day, America's not really involved in rally as like what they are in their other sports. And, and now it's within the past two years, and especially now after this year, it's, I've, I mean, I've spoken to so many people that are so interested in going over and competing and being a part of the rally and stuff, which is awesome to see. I mean, if we can get a huge field of Americans, it would just be, it would be super cool to have. But saying that for the, for the guys that are like the first comers in and it's their first time, don't, I mean, it's almost don't put your expectations too high. You're not, you're not going to go over there your first year and light the world on fire. I mean, don't get me wrong. It could happen, but it's, it's a huge, huge learning curve and you, you have to really know and kind of like respect the rally for what it is and, and learn about it and everything before you can really be super competitive and know exactly what you're doing. So, yeah, I'd agree. With, I'd agree with that. I, I think that there's a lot of things. There's just a lot of unknowns that you're just so you're saying. I absolutely agree that I feel that there's an opportunity to go there and be successful the first year, but I also feel that there's a lot of learning that on the average you're getting, there's mistakes that can be made, but because you just don't know. And I, I mean, I, I was there, and I, but I mean, I would say the best thing to do is go, go do a rally school, you know, go down to Sonora rally. I think the Sonora rally is great. Obviously we didn't get to do it this year just because of the whole uh, debacle going on right now. Um, but for myself, I feel that there's a lot of opportunities, uh, in America now, like Jimmy Lewis, you know, him training, uh, there's a couple other people that do training and really just hit anyone up. There's road books out there. Like just go and look at a road book and see if it's something you want to do. Cause that's what I always get like, Oh dude, I'm a, I'm a radical co-driver in score series and it's like okay that that gives me no indication that you're going to be a rally co-driver it's like even if you could change a tire quick or read a gps it's like both those things aren't as crucial as you not getting that car lost yeah yeah well i think eve even asked me like oh you want to go do some road books and like it it sounds fun if it's just purely for fun but in a competitive scenario like dude uh, the road book is all the abbreviations and stuff is French. And so like, it, I don't know. That, well, now a- the, the, and I feel like, you know, like I feel that they changed the road book this year from the years past. So like in the years past, not saying Sean, it was in that uh, doing anything, but in the years past, like if there was something in French, you could write on it like in English, like, all right, uh, whatever it is, triple caution. If you know what the signs are, but if in American, you can say, all right, triple caution, it, when there is triple caution, yeah. uh, you could write that out. Well, now that you're getting 15 minutes beforehand, you can't. So Sean had to memorize every single thing in every in French. There was all no, this. Yeah, you had to memorize all the symbols. That's right. There was and there's no, a ton of them. Oh, dude, yeah. it's gnarly. I think that I think this year's though, for as a navigator and knowing that now this year, obviously the the whole. Uh, color coordinating thing and and i see what the organization is trying to do they're trying to make it very fair and they're trying to take away the possibility of map men and guys that can go out and and kind of assess what they're going to be looking at the next day of them now telling us all right we're going to pre-color your books we're going to uh not allow you to write additional you can make change you you can you can write stuff in your book 
but you're not allowed to go in and add notes. So you can't, because then they know, okay, how did you, how did you know that at this turn, there wasn't a cap heading on this note, but you added a cap heading, like that type of stuff. And, and I think for us, which was kind of a cool thing was them giving us the, I think there were, there were six stages this year where they would give it to us 15 minutes before the race. And I, going into the rally and i and when we did it in morocco was the first time that uh we experienced it i i was thinking like man i'm not going to be able to study it the night before but once you understand the road book and you know what you're looking at getting it 15 minutes before is a lot less stressful because you're not looking at it the night before assessing through everything making all the uh, modifications where now the organization does everything for you and so when you get to the line, you're like, all right, well, here we go. Instead of like sleeping on it the night before, like running it through your head of what are we going to do? What are we going to get into? So I thought it was, I actually prefer getting the, the road book the day before. I, I think it was a lot less stressful, even though it sounds like it would be more stressful, but at the end of the day, I, I, I preferred it. Well, that's what we had talked to Ricky a little bit earlier before we called you. But, um, even while we were over there, I had talked to one of the other riders and kind of asked him that too. And, uh, you know, he had kind of echoed that, that, uh, after uh, dinner or whatever, they would spend hours going over the road book and, and looking at maps and, and going over it. So, um, he was stoked cause they were like, man, we don't have to deal with all that. And now you're trying to remember yeah. everything. And then, you know, the stress of trying to remember what everything you just went over for a couple hours, or sometimes it's late, you know, you don't, you don't get in late or, uh, you didn't finish up late. And so, yeah, now you're going to bed at, you know, 10 or 11. Those, the bike dudes get up at what, like, it was like three in the morning. Yeah. So, yeah super late. Yeah. They, and that was for us. I mean, like with Kellen, I mean, I would, I would always, uh, go get with Kellen and the two of us would sit down and do our road books together. Cause we would talk about it and just kind of go through everything. And I mean, a couple of the nights, the modifications that the organization gives you, I no joke. There's you'd spend like two hours to get your road book prepared for the next day, and so when you don't get them, you can relax and just kind of work on the make sure the car's right and just kind of get some sleep. But yeah, the nights where you got to do it the day before, it's it's redoing stuff, and then you you there was a couple times where they would make a, mo- a modification, and then you'd also at eight o'clock every night there would be a, a driver's briefing to kind of go over the following day stage and they would show all the modifications and you're thinking to yourself, man, did, am I making this modification right? Like sometimes it would get a little confusing on what the organization wants you to modify and stuff. So it was definitely a lot better in the mornings. I preferred it. So. Yeah, no, it's definitely a wild experience. Well, Dude, I honestly think we've been uh, chatting about the car, dude. Sean, thank you so much for uh, for joining us and, and yeah. telling stories, man. We really appreciate it. What are you doing during yeah. coronavirus out there in Vegas? Uh, just hanging out, enjoying the the new Can Am, and just riding around the desert, trying to <laughs> keep myself at ease and peace of mind. So that's all. Just working on stuff here and there. And speaking of a where where next, um, I talked to Sean yesterday and. Tell him real quick about that ride. We got to do that at some point this summer, leaving from Sean's oh, house yeah. to Dumont and back. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. What is awesome, it like a hundred miles each way? Yeah. We did. I mean, we did the other day from my house 
yeah, there and back was just over 200. Good. Uh, but I mean, then obviously like messing around at Dumont and stuff like that. So it's pretty cool. I was, I was impressed with the ride. It was, it was rad to be able to do. I think there was like nine cars that we all Oof. got together and did it. Jot it and down. We had some fuel out there. That'd be, that'd yeah. be a fun ride. Yeah. That's awesome. know, was definitely, yeah. definitely cool. I'm, I'm definitely ready for so. some UTV rides. So, well, dude, we appreciate it once again. Thank you so much. Yeah. Uh, Thank you, and thanks for trusting me for all this stuff and kind of getting me to sit next to you. It's, it's been, been it's been a journey, a pleasure. dude. Wow, dude, no, I've, dude, the risk. Uh, it's definitely been all worth the reward. So lo- lots of uh, opportunity ahead, and yeah, the future's bright. So we'll uh, hopefully get through coronavirus so we can get back to training and having some fun and and pushing forward for 2021. Yeah, definitely looking forward to it. Thank you, boss. All right, thank you, guys. Well, I, uh, yeah, dude, Dakar was truly an amazing experience. So, but I honestly, you guys, anybody out there has any questions, dude, let us know, man. We're, I'm all about it. You know, now that it's over and, and we can tell stories and talk about it, it's really hard to do this on, on, uh, on a video that, I, you know, to, to put all those stories out there. And I feel that I'm still missing a bunch, but you guys got any questions, uh, dude, I'm opening up. I, I want Dakar to grow. I love, I love Dakar. Uh, for myself, I like the challenge of driving fast uh, with the unknowns of no pre-running. So it doesn't matter how wealthy you are, how big your pre-runner is, uh, you're not going to get to use any of it. So it's going to come down to uh, ability, uh, co-driver, uh, and car. So love it all. Dude, thank you guys. Aaron, Kyle, thank you guys for joining. And uh, episode 13, where to next? We will, uh, we're going to be wrapping up. We're going to do way more. Uh, we're going to keep you guys informed. Uh, we got a lot of great things coming for it. So thank you guys, and we'll see you guys soon.